0: Welcome back, everybody, you CFP Winning Edge, the podcast edition. of Scott Bogdan. Follow me on the Twitter at Bogdan Sports. I'm joined, as always, by Nicholas Ian Allen, the owner and proprietor of CFP Winning Edge. Follow me on the Twitter at CFP Winning Edge and here, Trish at Sawyer. I'm G Trish, C-R-I-C-G on the Twitter machine. And today we are going to be continuing our team preview series. We got 35 26 coming up, but we do have uh, some news and notes. Uh, in fact, a lot of injuries happening here, Nick. We had, uh, you know, my Longhorns lost a couple of starters for the season. Uh, wide receiver transfer from Wyoming, Isaiah Nayor and uh, offensive lineman Jr. and, and Galia both suffered lower body injuries and will be out indefinitely. Rashawn Johnson did get hurt on the same day, but avoided a significant injury. Uh, Notre Dame has suffered heavy losses in their wide receiver core with Avery Davis, the most recent to go down. Davis, who was recovering from an ACL tear last season, suffered another one last week. Just brutal. Offensive lineman Jarrett Patterson has been held out of practice and is highly questionable for the opener against Ohio State due to a foot injury. Toledo's offensive line was dealt a major blow with the news that starters Mitchell Berg and Tyler Long are out indefinitely. The the Rockets were expected to return 63% of offensive line snaps from 2021, but that's now just 28.8%. Toledo ranked 89th in offensive returning production before the news, and now uh, they sit at 114th, 74th overall. Uh, Alabama has struggled with injuries early in fall camp. Wide receiver JoJo Earl will be out six to eight weeks with a foot injury, and multiple potential starters in the secondary were banged up, including Kyrie Jackson and Eli Ricks. Arizona state lost starting defensive end Michael Mattis to a torn ACL and may also be without defensive tackle nested Jade uh, Silvera and cornerbacks to Marcus Davis and Jordan Clark in week one uh, who continue to miss practice time. So Nick, let's just hit these um, injuries first. You know, this is the, we talked about it the last couple of weeks. These are the the news and notes that we get outside of starters being named which are trickling in, we'll get to in a second, but um, this time of year, it's just all bad news, it seems, right? Just a bunch of injuries.
1: Yeah, uh, definitely, and unfortunately, this isn't all of it. I mean, this is some of the, you know, higher-ranked teams, some of the, the more notable uh, or well-known players, and, you know, unfortunately, Texas, it seems like, uh, sort of suffered the, the two biggest blows I mean Angulo was uh, in most people's opinion uh, the best offensive lineman coming back for Texas and, and right now it looks like I mean I, I moved two true freshmen based on some reports uh, that I've seen into the uh, you know starting five projection in our FBS team profiles um, so you know that's certainly an, an area of, a, of concern and a little bit of a talking point. Uh, with Alabama and Will Anderson coming to town in, in week two that Texas could have two, uh, you know, at least true freshmen starting in in that game. Uh, but also Nair was a big-time playmaker at Wyoming and in, in, in an offense that didn't really, you know, throw the football all that much, but he was a deep threat, made a lot of big plays, sounded like he had had, you know, a really good um made a a good first impression and and was really impressing in practices since he uh, came to town. So, um, you know, Xavier Worthy of course is back and and one of the best receivers in the country and and they have um, plenty of talent uh, or at least, you know, some talented players, but the depth is, is getting a little thin at at receiver for Texas. Uh, A couple of guys, you know, in and out of, uh, trouble as well, uh, which has been a little bit of a, uh, you know, potential issue. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's, uh, certainly hate for anybody to suffer an injury like this and, and, you know, hate it for a team, Texas, as I tweeted out earlier, um, you know, top 10 team in our power rankings. Obviously we haven't talked about them yet. Still be a couple episodes until we talk about them. Um, but big losses there, you know, as far as overall impact or or kind of like guys, you can't afford to lose uh, probably the news out of Toledo is, is roughest. I mean, a couple of weeks ago talked about, you know, how Toledo absolutely should be the favorite in the Mac and um, you know, is really the team to beat, but uh, some of the numbers you mentioned just show, I mean, two returning starters, two projected starters um, expected to be out, For the year. And, you know, offensive line was already, uh, I mean, they were, they had three returning starters back. Now two of those guys are are gone. Now it's just the one, and they have something like 30, um, you know, games started between everybody else back on the roster. So uh, big time loss there certainly uh, makes the margin of error, you know, even slimmer for a team that, as we discussed, um, does tend to underachieve, or at least has in, in recent history. So uh, certainly something to watch, uh, you know, Texas, Toledo, and and of course um, teams all over the country dealing with this sort of thing, unfortunately. But uh, uh, yeah, that's, that's what time of year it is. And, and uh, you know, pretty long list and, and I'm sure to be uh, you know, I'm sure it will be getting longer um, here in the next couple of weeks as well.
0: Yeah, Xavier, it's almost depressing at this time of the year, right? Yeah, it Just is. To look up and see all these terrible injury reports, but uh, this is what we have right now, right?
2: Yeah, it's part of the game. It's an unfortunate part of the game. Uh, you know, this is, as you said earlier, unless we're being named starting quarterback or we're getting, you know, obvious position moves, It's typically injury season. This is when, uh, you know, a bountiful amount of injuries tend to happen, unfortunately, for the players and the teams as well. Um, I really do want to highlight on the the Bama one. The Alabama ones just feel like the same kind of narrative they had to finish last year with. Uh, obviously, they, less, they lost yeah. Mechie at one point. They lost Jameson Williams at one point. They came into the national championship with, I think, three out of their four DBs or two out of their four DBs were either true freshmen or redshirt freshmen. It, it just feels like, you know, they just haven't been able to catch a break at those two positions over the last two seasons. And, you know, the, especially with the wide receiving core, it sounds very it feels very indicative of what Clemson had. A problem with last year which was just not getting consistent play from their receiving core due to injuries due to not having an, op- an opportunity to kind of get you know uh, some sort of cohesion cohesion so and as great as bryce young might be you're gonna need that kind of consistency you're gonna need that continuity you know we talked about clemson needing it so bad we were hoping justin ross came back and played last year like it it's important it is it is hugely important no matter how good these teams are that they have this consistency on the outside for a position group that you know really has to hit the ground running uh you know for, for, from last season especially the makeup for some of the the woes that they had in the national championship i mean we, we talked about you know uh, uh a g hall last year you know in that national championship game just you know not being maybe up to speed and if he is maybe he catches a, you know a couple more passes that he dropped and they were just offline a couple of times uh with bryce young in that game so that you know it, we you know obviously the the other ones are major but when you talk about about a big program like that i think a lot of people just think oh you know they've got a ton of five stars all over the field they'll be fine right uh, not necessarily you know you know you 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 pick up all those five stars for insurance sure but there's a reason why you have starters and second strings and third strings. like there's a reason why they're they're placed on the depth chart like that no matter if they're five stars or not
0: yeah it's a great point to make you know uh just because You do have these highly recruited backups. A lot of people, like you said, will say, ah, well, they're fine. They got a five star behind them." but there's a reason that guy is starting. And he probably has got reps with the first team throughout all of, you know, spring and summer practice and and all that good stuff, too. So there's more of a rapport built. So it's not just plug and play every single time, even at big universities. Obviously, you know, having a bunch of high recruits fighting for one spot is a good problem to have. But uh, when you have injuries, they're always a problem. Uh, a little bit yeah, of uh, I, I, go ahead, keep
2: going, please. No, I, I was just gonna say, you know, uh, you know, we're NFL fans, you know, yeah. maybe not as much, but you know, the NFL <laughs> is the best of the best, right? Yeah. And your first stringers and your second stringers are completely different, uh, you know. And those are supposed to be the best fifty-three guys, you know, best what, you know, couple hundred guys, a couple thousand guys in football, period. And when you right. drop, when you lose a, you know, you lose a couple of receivers, and the NFL, you're clutching your pearls like, ah, my team's gonna be in trouble.
0: Yeah. Or offensive line, you know, I'm not being a Steelers fan. I know about bad offensive line play over the last year. So uh, it has been uh, brutal. So uh, one guy goes down, you know, uh, and it just it's a domino effect sometimes. So, like you said, at the best level uh, in the world where the best people on the planet are playing uh, at that spot. You know, the difference between a starter and a bench guy is just Mm -hmm. enormous. Uh, A little more QB news. uh, Jared Deggy. Entered the transfer portal after learning that defense uh, 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 D2 transfer, Austin Reed would be uh, the starter at WKU. uh Diggie quickly landed at Troy where he uh, is going to be eligible to play this year as well. So we'll see how quickly he gets uh, going there. USF named uh, Baylor transfer, Gary Bohannon uh, the star next week, um, which uh, prom- uh, prompted 2021 star Timmy McLean to transfer to UCF. So, a lot of guys entering the portal and leaving uh, at this point. Um, we have a few interesting QB battles to discuss today, but some have named starters, including Texas. Quinn Ewers was named the starter today. Arizona State, Emory Jones, a transfer from Florida, was named the starter over there. And two teams have had coordinator changes. Uh, ODU offensive coordinator Dave uh, uh, Pattonod resigned abruptly on August 12th, and UConn defensive coordinator Lou Spanos, who served as inter, uh, interim head coach once of 2021, has taken a leave of absence for personal reasons. So um, we're getting a little bit of QB news in here. I mean, Austin Reed named the starter uh, at WKU, so Deggy is gone. Um, you know, we got starters named at Texas and Arizona State, Nick. So what do you think about the QB news going on here? well i've been thinking a lot about the uh news you know since
1: it happened uh just got back from the uh fantasy football expo in in canton ohio and this news broke sort of at the you know tail end as as uh uh, most everybody was you know headed out of town or, or had already left and that western kentucky Offense. I mean, you know, Bailey Zappi set NCAA records last year, and uh, one of the most productive quarterback seasons that we've seen in college football history. And even though you know the the offensive coaching staff is is different in a lot of ways, um, offensive coordinator Zach Kitley left for Texas Tech, as we discussed recently. Uh, but you know, there's enough left behind that you expect uh, Western Kentucky will be you know, at least operating a, a similar system probably won't uh, reach near what they did. But, you know, I, for one, was 80% sure uh, that Deggy was going to get that job. And, and uh, you know, they did bring in Austin Reed. I believe it was the first day of spring practice. And, uh, you know, he had a, a really, really great career at Division II West Florida. Um, but, you know, I, I just, I guess, assumed that, Daggy, who is, I believe, you know the the thing that's like the in in between the comma uh, or the commas, you know, which is Jared Dagey, comma the leading career passer, you know, active in FBS college football, comma uh, transferred, you know, I just kind of assumed that that he was going to be the guy and and take over, and and certainly there's no guarantee that he would have been able to hold on to that job. Um, throughout the entire year. But uh, you know, I, I, uh, from a, from a CFF standpoint, I had a, a quite a lot of uh, Daigie shares. Cause I was just, you know, pretty sure he was going to get that job and I was dead wrong. So uh, excited to see what Austin Reed does. It's kind of an interesting landing spot um, for Daggy. You know, we talked about Troy and how they are one of the more talented teams In the Sun Belt and quarterback, even though they've got a returning starter and Gunnar Watson, a little bit of a question mark. So I don't know that anybody would be able to win a job in less than two weeks. But um, seems to me, you know, uh, assuming he gets up to speed relatively quickly, Deggie might have an opportunity to, you know, make a major impact come Sunbelt Conference, uh, the the Sunbelt portion of that schedule. So uh, interesting to see, interesting to see, you know, Timmy McLean lose out to a transfer in Gary Bohannon and then immediately uh, move to, you know, the the team's top rival and an also pretty crowded quarterback room. So some of these decisions, you know, don't necessarily make sense to me on on the surface. Um, But. You know, certainly give guys, uh, certainly understand uh, guys who, who want to move on and get a fresh start and, and, and things like that. So kind of interesting to see how the timing of everything plays out. Interesting to see the timing of those two uh, coordinator uh, issues. Certainly hope everything um, is, you know, works out personally for, for both of those guys. I haven't really even heard why Pat Nod uh, resigned. He had just, you know, come over from Georgia Tech um, after the, the last off season. Um, but usually when, you know, things happen this time of the year, um, it's, it's often for non-football reasons. So hopefully everything's fine with, with both of those guys and hope both of those teams will be able to, um, you know, move on and, and not suffer, uh, from their play callers on, on one side of the ball or the other. Um, kind of, you know, leaving right as we're getting ready to kick off here in, in,
0: uh, what, eight days now as we talk. Javier, uh, what do you you think about um, this quarterback news here? We get some starters, which is nice. Uh, We have a new starter at WKU, which, like uh, Nick said, I think – Most of us CFF nerds, that's what we're paying attention to, obviously, because Bailey Zappi won people leagues last year. But uh, your your thoughts on some of this QB news going on?
2: No, I mean, uh, Deggy going to Troy is great. That is going to be an awesome move. I think he'll be starter by week two, uh, by week week three at the most. Uh, I just didn't think Gunnar Watson was going to be the guy. Um, He has played solidly in his time at Troy. But has never really like separated himself from if a guy did come in and transfer. Um, and we talked about how good choice defense might be. Their offense was really the one thing that we thought might be holding them back. If Deke can give them the next, you know, can, can give them a boost at that position, I don't see why he wouldn't play right away. Uh, Gary Bohannon being named the being named the starter is I, I love it. I love it. I'm not so sure Timmy. You know, what Nick said. I'm not sure so sure Timmy McLean's gonna play at all. Uh, um, To be perfectly honest with you, Nick, is there any way that you see him maybe switching positions? I, I, you know, I just, I I don't see him, you know, having any opportunity with such a crowded room there. And he didn't really put together a a season at USF that would, you know, garner such attention. Um, He's only a sophomore. So, I mean, if he wanted to make a change, he could. So I I just don't see why he would make that decision. Uh, Do you see him moving positions at all?
1: You know, I'm not sure, and, and we'll talk a little about UCF uh, later in the show, obviously, but um, it, you know, I, it, being so far removed, it's it's pure speculation on my part, right. but both of these, daggy and McLean, kind of both hit me as maybe emotional decisions. You know, you're, you're, mm. you're dead set competing for that top spot. And you are told by the coaching staff they're going to go in another direction. And and though, you know, both of these players, it seems to me, uh, maybe made things more difficult for themselves, especially McLean, in right. winning a job eventually um, by moving. I mean, he's, you know, at the end of his eligibility. Uh, Reed's also, you know, gotten some real positive buzz, uh, but it's kind of the old. Know, adage, one play away. Um, so, you know, for for Daigie, I guess okay, it's now or never to to start and to, you know, set himself up for a final year pro right. career or whatever it is. But McLean, that it kind of strikes me as man, you know, if he uh, had decided to stay, then it, it seems like he'd be in a pretty good, you know, position to to win that job again. Uh, maybe quicker at USF than he would at UCF because they've got you know a, a guy who's the same age, Mikey Keene, who's a returning starter. They brought in John Reese Plumley, uh, who they'll be competing with this year. I've heard a lot of buzz about Thomas Castellanos, the true freshman. Uh, so it seems like he just you know put himself in, in an even more competitive and difficult position. Certainly, you know, wish for, for the best and hopefully it works out for him. Uh, but yeah, I don't know. I mean, change positions. Yeah. I guess it's always possible. I mean, Plumlee, moved, you know, changed position at Ole Miss, decided he wanted to uh, return to quarterback, and that's part of what led him to UCF. So right. um, interesting. I don't know. We'll, we'll see. I mean, there's definitely a history of that. Joey Gatewood, you know, transferred to UCF as a quarterback and, and has since moved position. So um, it can happen. I don't know. Yeah. It's going to be interesting yeah. to see how it plays out.
2: You know, I was just thinking, yeah, obviously, you know, with him, you know, playing – quarterback in high school obviously it's a little bit more difficult he wasn't a guy who played uh who wasn't you know uh, an iron man by any means it just i just felt like maybe it's a possible move you know obviously he's only like i said he's only a true sophomore he's got three full years to figure it out if he wants to move positions and figure something else out and like you said with joey gaywood uh doing what he did at ucf he has a possibility um i do I, everybody's excited for yours, obviously. But I was personally excited for Emory Jones being named the starting quarterback. I think I said that when he transferred to Arizona State. I thought he'd be the guy there. Um, And and I'm just, you know, I'm I'm excited to see what he's able to do in in a system where he's not going to have somebody to to continue to look over his shoulder the entire time. Um, I felt like at Florida he always had Anthony Richardson kind of chomping at at the bit to get into the game, especially last season. And I feel like Emory, for what he wasn't given plaudits for at Florida – he kept them afloat in a lot of ways. Um, and so I'm excited to see what he's just able to do on the field this year. I think he's going to add a dynamicism to that offense that, you know, Jaden Daniels was able to do in his freshman year and wasn't able to do last year, uh, more with his legs than with his arm. Um, I just want to see Emory Jones succeed um, at, at, uh, at ASU, to be perfectly honest with you, because I feel like he got a really bad rap for playing on some pretty poor Florida teams over the last couple of years. Um, yes, he was obviously a part of that, but I also thought he got a lot of the blame for it when I don't think it was necessarily his fault.
0: All right, let's go on to talk about these 10 teams that we have for today. We're going to start here at number 35, North Carolina. Uh, In North Carolina, last year, number 10 was upset by Virginia Tech in the season opener and then struggled to find consistency consistency throughout a six and six regular season before losing 38 to 21 to South Carolina and the Dukes mail bowl, uh, DK's win total is seven and a half of them. We have them at seven and five. So we are under that seven and a half, probably going to hear the word under a lot today. Uh, but for North Carolina, Nick, though, our projections were modest and probably closer than anyone else's to the reality for North Carolina. Um, they were one of the b- most disappointing teams uh, last year, based on the preseason projections of being ranked in the AP top 25. Could the Tar Heels be one of those post hype sleeper type of teams that is forgot about more this year. And then, Hey, it just took us one extra year to get here. Uh, what do you think about UNC for 2022? Nick? It's possible.
1: Uh, however, at least, you know, the way our projections uh, are, are looking, it, it doesn't seem super likely uh, that, that we'll get sort of that post-hype hype sleeper um, type setup unless, you know, one of the, the quarterbacks who is still competing there, uh, Drake May and Jacoby Criswell, uh, seem to be neck and neck um, I heard a lot of things coming out of the spring that made me think that Drake May had kind of opened up a little bit of a lead uh, but more of the you know sort of reporting and, and message board uh, commentary seems to indicate that it's it's really really close, um, maybe even you know dead even but if one of those guys takes over and you know blossoms into um, the type of player that can, replace a now NFL quarterback and, and, you know, three-year starter, I believe it was Sam Howell. Um, it, it's going to be difficult to do. Uh, they also of course lost Ty Chandler who is in the NFL had a, a um, uh, um, I believe it or not, I got to see a little bit of some preseason NFL while I was on the road. Uh, seemed like he was you know playing pretty well there for Minnesota. Um, uh, an injury that we didn't mention, but, uh, Seemed like the the you know first in line to replace Chandler atop that running back depth chart. Britton Brown went down unfortunately with a season ending injury there at North Carolina. So it seems like you know we've got it sort of as a four uh, player race right now. Uh, DJ Jones and Caleb Hood, who are sophomores. Jones got the most uh, action last year. Uh, but two true freshmen are, are, really getting, um, a lot of buzz, including a Marion Hampton and George Petaway. Um, seems like, you know, some of the folks that, that I pay attention to, um, even though Petaway was the slightly higher rated recruit, uh, by two, four, seven sports coming out of high school, uh, Hampton, who is the bigger of the two, uh, this six, feet and, and 215 pounds seems to maybe um, get more people excited. So um, that'll be a fun one to see how it, it plays out. But, you know, losing Sam Howell and Ty Chandler. And then, of course, one of the, you know, starting offensive linemen was drafted, drafted higher than uh, both of those guys. Joshua uh, Azidu. So um, and then Marcus McKeithen was also a fifth round pick. So two. Two NFL draft picks on the offensive line. Three starters, excuse me, four starters total on the offensive line are gone. Uh, your three-year starting quarterback and NFL running back, starting tight end Garrett Wast, uh, Walston, all are gone. You know, offensively, that's that's a lot of production lost. And and you know, North Carolina does rank 118th in offensive line returning production um according to my, our most recently updated numbers um nevertheless you know i already mentioned a couple of true freshmen who are going to make an impact there's a true freshman in the receiving core uh looking to make an impact probably going to you know be a starter andre green jr uh who it looks like it's going to have to replace another guy who is um injured going to be out for a little while and antoine green but uh, you know josh downs is back sort of bearing the lead here a little bit uh josh downs one of the most exciting wide receivers in college football in my opinion had such a huge year last year over 1300 yards over you know 101 catches um was targeted 144 times uh just an electric playmaker and you know it it might make folks a little bit nervous because his production tailed off a little at the end of the year um defenses were able to kind of neutralize him a a bit down the stretch it will be interesting to see if you know that carries over since he is you know the most proven player on that north carolina offense and you know should be targeted early and often and you know find creative ways to get him the football um it's gonna be interesting to see how how teams react to that uh defensively you know the, the production, returning production numbers are much better. They actually rank in the top uh, 25 nationally. But this defense uh, was a major, major weakness, uh, finished 107th in defensive team performance overall, 108th against the pass and 98th against the run. So, you know, even though they do have Miles Murphy, who's a, you know, all ACC player in the interior of that defensive line, uh, do have a veteran Secondary with some, you know, quality individual players. Guys like Tony Grimes. uh, Storm Duck is one of everybody's favorites because of his name, but but also a solid player in in his own right. Uh, Cameron Kelly, Aquarius Conley. Back is starting safeties. They brought in uh, a highly highly productive edge defender in Noah Taylor transfer from North Carolina. And then they made one of the more interesting, perhaps offensive or, or you know, defensive coordinator hires uh, of the offseason bringing Gene Chiswick, former national championship winning uh, head coach at Auburn, who had been at, at the sec network for a while. So it's, you know, there are a lot of signs to be, to say that while North Carolina, uh, you know, is still a very talented team. Um I worry that you know they're going to be relying on a lot of inexperienced players uh all over the offense and then their more experienced unit on defense um is you know just just played so poorly last year and the guy they brought in hasn't been a coach in you know how long. Um so and, and, you know, even when Chiswick was was back and he was at North Carolina uh, the, the last time he was on uh, a sideline, uh, 2015 and 2016, he was the defensive coordinator there. Uh, you know, they they weren't great under under his uh, uh, coordination. So um, I don't know. I mean, I, I, I could make a case that North Carolina you know might end up with a better record. I'm not sure that they're going to be a better team quite honestly. And, and our projection, you know, right at seven and five uh, does, does show a slightly, you know, improved outcome, but um, there are also some pretty tough uh, games on that schedule, especially in the non-conference and some tricky matchups early on. Um, So if, if that quarterback question works itself out and they get, you know, a lot of production uh, there and are able to place, uh, replace Sam Howell pretty well, then, yeah, North Carolina, I think, could actually make some noise and surprise a lot of people. But um, there's a lot of questions that that make me think that uh, similar results to last year are, are probably
0: the more likely outcome. Xavier, your thoughts on UNC. Do you, you find this team to be maybe lying in wait and ready to strike, or do you think, nah, I think what we saw last season is probably what we're going to
2: get from UNC? Yeah, I'm more under the belief that last season is what we're going to see. Uh, yes, Drake may could take a massive leap, but I don't like like Nick alluded to earlier. I don't think he's sewn up that job at all. Uh, when you talk about, you know, what they were weren't able to do last year, it, it was really not protect the quarterback. You know, as, as as good as Sam Howell was, you know, in previous seasons last year, he he had to run maybe more than I thought he would in his entire career. I mean, we saw the highlights. There was How many 30-yard scampers did he have to keep his team afloat last year? Uh, and, and I just feel like that's very indicative of, 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 a, of a regressed offensive line who, you know, yes, could improve this year. Uh, but I'm just not – I'm not sold on that team at all. I wasn't sold on them last year, and we had talked about that uh, – you know, uh, Josh Downs, love him, absolutely love him. Similarly to what I love Daz Newsom, excuse me, Daz Newsom for. Um, but I, I just feel like when you have one guy and your best receiver is sub six foot, sub six one, and he's gonna be, you know, he's gonna have to, it's gonna be difficult for him to consistently get open time after time after time. Just being, you know, and what will his impact always be? Um, you know, this year their schedule for me. Uh, you know, their, their non-conference schedule is a little bit easier or starts easier a little bit. Uh, they do play Florida A&M. That should be a nice tune-up game because your next two games are both on the road, both against probably two of the favorites in the Sun Belt playing App State and then Georgia State. Uh They get two bye weeks this year. That should be pretty good. Uh, But then, you know, they have a just a, a gauntlet after that. You know, Notre Dame, Virginia Tech, maybe they get some get back there. Then they go to Miami. That's not going to be a fun one. Um, you know, obviously you get a reprieve with Duke. Then you get a bye week, and like I said, you go to Pitt, two way Forest, and NC State and in the next three of your next five games. Uh, not to mention you have to go to Virginia, which is never an easy, which is never uh, an easy place to go play either. I just don't see them consistently putting together week after week um, a team that's going to come ready to play, uh, especially with, with, like you said, you know, uh, a downgrade in the quarterback position. As much as as hype as Drake May has been uh, by North Carolina fans up until this point, he, he's not Sam Howell. Uh, maybe it takes him a year to become Sam Howell. But, uh, you know, I just see maybe another six and six year for North Carolina. Um, I'm going to go under on their win total. I think this is a team that can make a bowl game, but by the skin of their teeth, uh, because I just don't believe that their offense is going to be, you know, consistent as it was last year. Um, And defensively, they're going to have to play a ton better because they're not going to have Sam Howell to bail them out. I mean, you're just not going to be able to win games like they did last season where they beat you know, Miami in a shootout. They beat Wake Forest in a shootout. They beat Virginia in a shootout. Uh, they, their, their defense is going to have to be much improved. I'm not sure if it makes that jump. Uh, and I'm, once again, I think they downgraded at the quarterback position even though Josh Downs is still there.
0: All right, we go over to number 34 here. Wake Forest, the Demon Deacons, continue to outperform expectations and race out to an 8-0 and start. Uh, captured the ACC Atlantic division title and beat Rutgers 38 to 10 in the Gator Bowl in an 11 and three season. DK has got their win total at six and a half. Uh, We have them projected seven and five. So over that six and a half, but something interesting did happen when we laid out this whole, you know, team previews 34. This is a number we had wake forest. But of course, during this we had uh, an injury to their uh, quarterback, Sam Hartman, who is going to miss the season, it looks like. And given uh, their history of of overachieving, I mean, are we too low on the Demon Deacons because they dropped all the way from 34 to 54 in the overall rankings here, Nick? That is quite a a drop here um, with the Sam Hartman news.
1: Yeah, big, big time drop. I mean, about as big as uh, a team, you know, from what we would see, Sam Hartman, in our individual player ratings based on his, uh, you know, talent projection coming into college and then his experience and the amount of production. He's been highly, highly productive multiple year starter there at Wake Forest. Um, you know, he was a 99 rated player and we max out at 100. So, uh, one of the best quarterbacks, easy to say in the country and you know, the, 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 Competition to replace him. It sounds like Mitch Griffiths is going to be the starter. Is is you know considered uh, QB one by Dave Kloss, and He's a seventy seven rated player, a sophomore. Um, you know, decent uh, rating coming out of high school, but hasn't had that experience. Has played eight games total, uh, about fifty five snaps combined over the last two years. Um, you know, and he, he hasn't been uh, in the position or, or had the Uh, opportunity to impact a game like Sam Hartman has the last few years. Wake Forest has done a really, really excellent job of overachieving, you know, our projections, a lot of other people's uh, projections as well. Um, But this is a a team that, you know, roster strength wise doesn't really stack up well uh, against power five um, opponents, they rank 78th right now overall in roster strength, um, 84th on offense. When Hartman was in uh, the lineup, you know they were, uh, I, I think, top 50 overall, and, and you know offensively, certainly uh, top 50 as well. So, still not what you would expect, or, or what most uh, Power Five Division champions coming off an 11 win season. You know, that that's that's just not the talent profile that a team like Wake Forest or, or, you know, a final record or, or, you know, what Wake Forest was able to do last year. Um, They don't necessarily line up. So part of me thinks that, yes, you know, Sam Hartman, uh, the drop off there is so, so huge potentially um, that maybe we're in the right spot. But then on the other hand, I think. You know this coaching staff, this program has really, really, um, you know, made projections like ours look silly uh, in recent years. And and so there's part of me that thinks, okay, you know, they're going to be just fine. And Griffiths uh, or Michael Kern, if they, you know, if he ends up having an opportunity as well, they've got some talented playmakers to work with. At Perry had a huge, huge year last year. Donovan Green uh, was injured out all year with a torn ACL. He was, you know, basically, um, kind of, you know, didn't necessarily expect he would be a T Perry, but, uh, he came into the season, uh, or, you know, came into fall camp, um, being that sort of clear number one guy on the depth chart, go-to guy, uh, other than Jacoby Roberson, who are there, you know, are going to have to replace, but, um, it's a talented group still, you know. Even even uh, with Roberson gone, uh, Taylor Morin has, has played a lot of football. Seventeen uh, starts has been productive. Keyshawn Williams, uh, I'm you know reading a lot of really good things about. Had got an opportunity to um, uh, watch a little bit of the the game against North Carolina. A, a re uh, rewatch of that, uh, and you know his, his name popped out uh, a time or two. Jamal Banks was tearing up fall camp last year, um, and and still, even though he didn't play a whole lot uh, or make much of an impact, um, sounds like he might have an opportunity this year. So uh, mix that together with kind of that unique offensive system that they've got in place, that slow mesh um, that, uh, you know, guys like Justice Ellison, Christian Turner, who are uh, kind of the one-two uh, there in the running back room, uh, seem to be able to, you know, capitalize on. And they've been a pretty good team, um, at least decent running the football. I mean, you know, the, the rushing offensive team performance, they only ranked 67th last year. But uh, that way of operating, you know, makes it, makes it difficult on um, the opposing defense to, to kind of get a good read. Uh, and it obviously is, you know, opens up some opportunities in the passing game as well, uh, because Wake Forest, Ranked in the top five nationally in in passing offensive team performance last year, so even without Hartman, I think sort of the um, the program that they've got in place and uh, specifically the offensive system, I'm I'm a little worried that that uh, we may be maybe we were already too low on Wake Forest at 34 with Hartman. You know, a lot of folks. you would expect they'd they'd be a team coming off an 11 win season with one of the best quarterbacks in college football to be, you know, top 15 uh, preseason, something like that. Um, Without him, you know, 54, I think at first glance seems about right, but um, you know, Wake Forest is still going to be a really, really difficult team to beat, especially if their defense takes a little bit of a step forward. They won a lot of shootouts last year. Um, the defense ranked like 98th in defensive team performance overall. 113th against the run, uh, so they have to get you know a lot better up front. I think to be able to sort of overcome that that Sam Hartman uh, loss, and it's it sounds like hopefully he'll be able to come back and, and play at some point this year, but uh, we don't know for sure. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I think Wake Forest will be a difficult team to beat. The offensive line is highly experienced, had a great year last year, ranked 14th in O-line performance. Um, but without that quarterback, I mean, it's kind of like uh, the the situation with North Carolina having to replace one of the best in the league, one of the best in the country. Um, and Griffiths and, and Kern, you know, we don't know as much about them because they weren't the highly, highly rated recruit that Drake May was. So a little bit of a question mark. And, and you know, after what should be two relatively easy wins and and potentially a, a 3-0 start in non-conference play, uh, that ACC opener against Clemson, I mean, we'll find out real quick uh, if this Clemson, or excuse me, if this Wake Forest team is going to be able to compete without Sam Hartman. I, I think they've got, you know, I think they will. I think they're sort of annoying enough to the opponent that they will be in a lot of games. And we do project a lot of single, you know, one possession type games. Um, but I would feel a whole lot better uh, if Sam Hartman were, were at the top of that depth chart. And so hopefully he'll be back and healthy soon. But in the meantime, you know, be interesting to see if, if Wake Forest is able to continue to overachieve even without, um, you know, their biggest star, uh, at least on offense.
0: Xavier, your thoughts on Wake Forest? You know, uh, probably an overachieving year last year, um, but a good squad. But they lose their team leader. So, how do you think it's going to play out for the Demon Deacons?
2: For me, they just went from like ten and two to eight and four. I mean, I still think this is a team that goes over six and a half win total. Um, you know, when you talk about Wake Forest, I, I, Nick hit it, hit it around in the head. That offense, I'm not saying can be run by anybody, but the style of offense that they run isn't one that needs a particularly amazing passer to make it go. Um, You know, the first thing that comes to mind is Jamie Newman. He wasn't a particularly, you know, top of the line, you know, thrower, but he was athletic enough to get the job done with his legs and his receivers made plays when need be. He's still. Griffiths is still going to have one of the better receiving cores in the ACC, uh, one of the better ones in the country, depending on who you're talking to. So I really think that he's still going to be able to succeed. Not only that, but I love his tune-up games. They get like progressively harder as the schedule continues. He goes VMI, which is like bottom tier. Then he goes at Vandy, which is like middle. And then he goes Liberty, which is like right above Vandy, in my opinion. And then he kind of builds his way into the Clemson matchup. And what's more importantly about that Clemson matchup, it's at home. You know, yes. I still expect Clemson to win that ball game, but it's insanely better for him to play that game at home than go to Clemson uh, and have to go ahead and win in, in that hostile atmosphere. Obviously, then he gets for and he has to go at Florida State, but Florida State's not the monster that maybe they used to be, or well, not even maybe used to be that they were at one point. Um, and then he gets Army, so I, I think they can still go four and two at the worst in their first you know six games, um, if not five and one, even without Hartman. And it'll really be about mitigating and managing the back half of that schedule. Uh, Boston College, Louisville, and, and NC State. If they can manage that, if they can win two of you know, or one of three of those games, two or three of those games, you'll be fine. Uh, you know, then you've got North Carolina, Syracuse, and Duke to finish the year off. So the schedule is not insanely daunting. Uh, like I said, if they, if they can you know muster a win at Florida State, and if they can make if they make sure they don't lose all three games in a row, Boston College at Louisville and at NC State. I think this is a team once again that looks is gonna overachieve even without Hartman. It's gonna win eight games. It's gonna be in another bowl game. Yes, they're not the conference title contender that they are with Hartman on the on the field, but I, I don't expect this team to have, you know, a precipitous drop-off to where they're all of a sudden five and seven and they just can't find their footing at all whatsoever. I do expect the defense to be slightly better this year. Nick hit it right on the head. This is a team that last year won won all but one shootout and that was against North Carolina uh and when you know and when uh Sam Howell decided to become the second coming of Michael Vick and obviously losing at Clemson last year which I feel like Clemson kind of dominated that game and finally had found their footing uh all year uh you know the, the footing that we expected them to find all year so I, I expect the defense to be better their, their schedule in my opinion this year kind of mirrors the one that la- it had last year um Without, you know, the the daunting finish to the year last year, Uh, you know, they played NC State, Clemson and Boston College in your last three games. That was pretty daunting. Uh, And and, and North Carolina this year, they don't have that patch, in my opinion, uh, that sees them fall on their face and not be able to recover. So I got Wake Forest going over. I think they win eight games this year, even without Sam Hartman. And, and, you know, that's just going to make Sam Hartman's comeback even that much more impressive in a year uh, if he's able to come back to football.
0: All right, let's go over to number 33 Washington after an and two start that included a disastrous loss to Montana in week one and a blowout loss to Michigan Washington struggled to recover the Huskies lost their final four in a four and eight season and fired head coach Jimmy Lake uh, DK's got their win total at seven and a half. We have them at seven and five. So we are under at seven and a half. Nick, the question for Washington. Uh, really? This is the opposite of UNC. Our projections were dead wrong about Washington in 2021. And we're still higher than most on the Huskies for 2022. So I guess will new head coach Kalen, Kalen DeBoer offer a boost, or is this going to be a year zero situation for the Huskies? Yeah. Washington was, was my
1: biggest uh, embarrassment <laughs> last year. Uh, this time last year, we had Washington favored in all 12 regular season games. And uh, obviously, uh, did not work out that way. So, um, we didn't necessarily expect them to go 12 and 0, but, uh, they uh, big, big time, uh, underachieved, um, uh, you know, our projections, but, but I would say according to just about everybody's expectations, uh, last year. So, I'm a little I'm a little gun shy when it comes to Washington because I would have expected them to be a little lower in our projections. Um they're 33rd here. They're actually 39th in our most up-to-date um, set of uh, rankings. So uh, just based on some of the you know, camp news as, as the quarterback situation is playing out. Uh, it sounds like still, this is a three man race. Michael Penix took the first snap of fall camp. Um, but it, you know, sounds like uh, according to the plan that DeBoer set forth, uh, shared with the media um, actually has, you know, given equal reps to Dylan Morris and Sam Heard. So um, I, I think, uh, you know, right now we we have Pinnock sort of tagged as the starter because he does have a history with DeBoer. He did take that first snap. So um, it seems more likely than not that, that he's going to be the guy. Uh, but there are some you know, surprises elsewhere. I mean, at at the running back position, Wayne Tulapapa, the transfer from Virginia, seemed to get a a lot of the early work. Will Nixon, who um, is also a transfer, who has played some wide receiver in his past, transfer from Nebraska. Um, Those two are, are, you know, uh, early in fall camp, getting uh, basically all of the work with the ones, a little bit of Cameron Davis as well. But Aaron Dumas, the, uh, you know, true freshman starter, transfer from New Mexico last year, who had a big spring, um, at least early on, sounds like maybe he was banged up a bit, but uh, was a non factor, according to a lot of the you know uh, early reports from fall camp. So um, they're figuring it out, uh, you know, personnel wise at Washington, it, it does seem like whichever quarterback uh, gets the job probably going to have a pretty good set of receivers to work with Jalen McMillan, Rome, uh, Adunes, uh, Adunze, uh, my apologies if I mispronounced that, but, uh, those two solid, uh, experienced one, two combo Jalen Polk has, you know, dealt with injuries, but, but, uh, really impressed behind the scenes, according to, to a lot of things that I've, uh, heard and read Taj Davis, Giles Jackson, both have, uh, some, Skills that, that get people excited. Junior Alexander, a transfer, um, you know, was a, a high school teammate with, with one of the quarterbacks. So uh, them, they'll have to replace Kate Otten, the uh, tight end. But um, Devin Culp and Jack Westover pretty experienced at that position. And then there's another Otten Ryan Otten, who, uh, unfortunately it sounds like is injured going to miss some time, but um, you would expect that that's going to be a position uh, even losing a fourth round pick that, that they're probably going to be okay. Uh, there is some concern on the offensive line. They did lose a uh, fifth round draft pick center and Luke Wattenberg. Um, they do, you know, somewhat fortunately uh, well, Definitely, fortunately, got good news that Jackson Kirkland, who had declared for the NFL draft and and uh, pulled out late um, due to an injury, he had been you know injured, missed some time uh, over the last several years, but but definitely toward the end of last year, um, is back. He will be ineligible to play that opener on September third against Kent State. Um, so you know, a little bit of a. Uh, you know, good news, bad news situation. Um, you would certainly rather have your all Pac-12 and and you know pro prospect left tackle uh in place when you're you're getting ready to line it up for the first time as a new head coach, and especially a team like Washington who uh, really has something to prove in Week One uh, this year. Um, but that seems like a, a unit that should be a, a pretty good one They in 32nd. Uh it's actually the highest rated unit uh, according to our position strength um ranking. So, uh should be, you know, decent up front, should have a, a decent uh set of playmakers. It's just, you know, will that quarterback situation work itself out and you know, in my opinion, I think any of those three um have potential. So, uh I I try I'm trying not to talk myself into Washington again too much, but I can see potential on the offensive side of the ball and part of that is the success that, you know, DeBoer had at Fresno State, which, you know, team we talked about recently as as having a really explosive offense balanced can hurt you on the ground or through the air. Um, And so you think that that that's that side of the football, because Washington really, really struggled the last couple of years on offense and ranked 102nd in offensive team performance overall last year, Uh, equally bad uh, passing and rushing. Um, I I think they'll be able to take a a pretty big step forward, even if they're only middle of the pack. Um, They have a chance to move up 35, 40 spots in team performance and and you know that should pay off that should get them playing at a bowl caliber level and if they um you know continue to play pretty good defense and, and they were middle of the pack defensively last year 63rd in defense uh, defensive team performance overall um unfortunately they were really really bad defending the run they were 99th against the run and number two uh against the pass so you know hopefully that Unit will be a little less one-sided. Um, they do have to replace a couple of top forty draft picks, first rounder Trent McDuffie and uh, early second rounder Kyler Gordon, both starting corners last year, uh, are gone. but the the you know defensive side of the ball is really, really talented. And you know have some questions personnel wise in the secondary. But Alex Cook is back, uh, super senior, uh, have a returning starter. I'm hearing a lot of really, really good things about Jordan Perryman, who is a transfer from UC Davis, the FCS level. Sounds like, you know, might actually get some NFL draft buzz himself before all is said and done. Um, was a productive player in, in, uh, I believe the big sky, I think is, is UC Davis, Montana conference rival, if so. Um, but they're, they're trying to, you know, fill some holes, uh, brought in Cam Bright, a transfer linebacker from Pitt brought in Christopher mole, who was highly productive early in his career at UAB. The defensive line is massive. They, uh, Are are really, really excited. It sounds like about a converted offensive lineman, Lumu Ale, uh, 333 pounds in that interior of the defensive line. Um, They're going to be just big, big up front. So hopefully, you know, if you're a Washington fan, that will help the, uh, you know, defending the run, make some improvement on that side of the ball. Sounds like they've got a, uh, you know, wealth of. Uh, edge defenders, guys, guys like uh, Zion Tupolo Fatui ZTF, who was a you know All-American candidate uh, before he got banged up last year, Carson Bruner, Jeremiah Martin, uh, Savelle Smalls, Braylon Trice. I mean, uh, a, a lot of talented uh, linebackers slash edge players. So I, I think that you know Washington's got a got an opportunity uh, as long as they. Um, don't just completely crater uh, on the back end. And that offense takes a little bit of a step forward. I think we should expect Washington to, you know, get back to bowl eligibility, Uh, a two and one at worst record in non-conference play. You know, that, that seems about right. Opening Pac-12 play with a home game against Stanford, playing both Arizona and Arizona state, um, and Colorado as crossover games, uh, even though there's no you know Pac-12 divisions anymore, as we've discussed the um, the way the schedules were set up. Uh, that that's a pretty good draw. So I think Washington is going to be a, a improved team from a record standpoint. I was a little surprised that that, that win total is seven and a half. Uh, so you know, even though we are technically under that Um, you know, I I think that a seven win team for most folks uh, who are, who are Washington fans would be a big step forward in in year one under Kalen DeBoer. So uh, I think it's possible. And, you know, I I would expect uh, based on how badly this team underachieved that Washington, you know, we might be talking, at least from a power rating standpoint at the end of the year as as this, Potentially being one of the most improved teams, uh, certainly in the Pac-12, and 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 who knows, a couple things fall the right way, you know, maybe nationally.
0: Xavier, I think that there's just no way you're going to be nearly as rose-colored about Washington here, right? Like, uh, it's impressive. He, he, You've rose been all color? Is that what you just said? Rose bowl? Oh no,
2: no, no. no! Oh, breaking I'm out the dad
0: nervous. jokes early, Nick.
1: I'm very uh, nervous about Washington. I'm glad we're on the under. I did not expect seven and a half, uh, but you know, you know me. I I, I guess I look for bright spots uh, in, in a lot of ways, and
0: I just feel like Washington's one of those teams that that. Xavier specifically likes to pick on because they always seem to be overrated and just haven't got it done for a little while here, Xavier. Your thoughts on Washington?
2: I actually have a really soft spot for Washington. My my mom is a Washington alumni, uh, so I have a you know I went to their their one and only college football playoff uh appearance at the at the Georgia Dome before that was over. So I actually I actually do have a soft. spot They don't spot allow you to Washington. go to any
0: more of those games then if you went to that one.
2: Yeah, the, you're the have bad me, luck, I, right? I've yeah 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 that was the bad luck when you're playing Alabama. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, But no, uh, I just, you know, Washington has had a consistent issue over the last two seasons that it's been the quarterback play. So that's why I feel like if Michael Penix can come in here and hit the ground running, they'll be fine. You know, my biggest, you know, crux with them last year was the fact that I didn't believe in Dylan Morris, like at all. Like I had no faith in the kid whatsoever. And I I was, you know, pretty honest with him. Um, and I showed on the field, uh, this year, I believe Michael Penix can bounce back from what was a pretty poor year last year. Uh, I, I think, you know, I'm not going to say he's going to get back to his 2020 form where, you know, Indiana was, you know, competing on all levels uh but I do think that he will have an opportunity in the Pac 12 to just make an impact his athleticism I think last year he wasn't completely healthy which lent a lot to him forcing it a little bit I also thought the expectations kind of got to the best of him um and I thought he felt like he had to go out there and be Michael Vick when he just needed to be Michael Pinks. um so I I think you know this year Washington should be better than last season uh, that that's just there's just no way I can sit here and say that they're going to have back-to-back years of that piss-poor football, especially when you look at them defensively. Washington has been a pretty good defensive team in my lifetime. Um, and last year, the defense was pretty good. Their offense just was terrible. I mean, you know, you, you your defense holds Montana to 13 points, and you're only able to muster up seven. That, that kind of is indicative of the entire season. Uh, you look at their losses, you know, they, their offense was rarely, if ever in those losses, able to put up more than 24. 24- Four points. They only did it twice um, in, in those games, in those losses last year. The other ones they put up 13, 17, 16, 17, um, and 10. So, you know, when you, when you really look at Washington, this is going to be a whole lot of offense necessary for them to get over that hump um, and for them to get over that seven and a half win total. If Michael Pennington hit the ground running, they absolutely will. Now, I think Dylan Morris last year, uh, you know, just didn't have it. And I, and I felt like, you know, the team understood that later and later into the year. Uh, And I think Michael Penix can absolutely give them a boost. Uh, I I like what they're able to do um, on the ground with uh, Wayne Tulapapa. They've always had a platoon swap at, uh, at running back. That's always seemingly worked. uh, Even if you take it back to the miles Gaskin years, they had uh, Ahmed as well in the backfield with him. So I I think that you will see Washington have a concerted effort of running the football this year. And I'm going to say all of this to say this, if they lose to Kent state, all bets are off all bets are off i will come right on this podcast to tell you that they're not going to do anything uh worth you know, <laughs> worth, <laughs> worth, worth, you know worth the thing uh, if they lose to kent state at home game 1 uh, but i think if they're able to handle you know that they get their first four games at home yes one of them is going to be against michigan state but we talked about them possibly, you know, Michigan State obviously needing some help on their own offense um, and and their own quarterback needing to take the next step. So I think this is the four winnable games. I think they have to go three and one for me to have any confidence with them. Yeah, I I think that when you look at Washington's second half of the schedule, it's really going to be whether or not, like I said, their offense can muster up anything. We talked about this in previous episodes. Uh, They they start playing some of the all defense, no offense teams of the Pac-12, your your cows. uh, Obviously they have to go on the road to Cal. uh, Then they have to go and and play you know I think UCLA is going to be a pretty good team this year they have to go on the road there Arizona State eh, shaky we'll see what ends up happening even though I love Emory Jones the rest of that team could be complete combustion by October 8th Uh, you know and then obviously they have to go to Austin, where they just never had a fun time or Washington going to Oregon has just never been an amazing opportunity for them Uh, but they do their schedule when you look at just the names on the schedule they should handle business in every game but maybe three when you come off of the year that they just had you have to be much more skeptical uh you know they, if i was being bullish on washington they should only lose three to four games this year max however i can't just say that that's you know a, a, a foregone conclusion uh um, like i said michael penix has to take that next step if he doesn't this is a team that could very well finish five and seven six and six if he does i think this is gonna be an eight win ball club i believe in michael penix I think they get the over, um, and I'm going to be the one that obviously I don't mind sounding foolish on this podcast. I do it on a regular basis. That will absolutely sound foolish if Washington drops two of their first four uh, non-conference games. But I think this is a Husky team that ba- that bounces back, has a defense that they can that can do it, and finally has a quarterback that can get them the, that can stretch the field and be you know a bit of an athlete as well if need be.
0: All right, let's go over. To the next team up here, number 32, TCU. The Gary Patterson era uh, came to a screeching halt at TCU partway through a disappointing five and seven season. The Horn Frogs lost five of six after a 2 0 start and missed bowl eligibility with a 48 to 14 loss to Iowa State in the finale. Uh, DK's got them down for six and a half. We had them at seven and five, so over the six and a half. Uh, Nick Sonny Dykes takes over in Fort Worth after two. 21 years of the Patterson era. Will the change in leadership and maybe a change of quarterback give the Horn Frogs a spark heading into the 2022 season?
1: I think it will. Um, you know, TCU for so long, more often than not, was a defensive, you know, defense first type team. I and mean, Garrett Patterson was one of the trailblazers in the 425 movement, which is a lot of people's. Base defense now, and and you know he was really ahead of the curve. Um, uh, somebody who who is incredibly influential uh, for uh, you know his role in, in developing um, that defense specifically, uh, but also you know at TCU won a lot of games. Started um, his career when TCU was in Conference USA, right, and then they they moved uh, multiple conferences and and have developed into um a big 12 title contender you know in the last decade so um unfortunately last year tcu was one of the worst defenses in the country ranked 124th in defensive team performance overall 125th defending the pass and 122nd against the run um so You know, it was just a a, a total departure from what we were used to. And, you know, in some ways, it it makes me a little bit nervous because Sonny Dykes is an offensive first uh, head coach, um, had a lot of explosive offenses at SMU. Um, But for, you know, 2022 specifically, the defense really can't get worse. Um, it's going to be really, really tough for the defense to get worse. And if the offense, which, you know, had, uh, had some real playmakers, I mean, Quentin Johnston is, um, somebody who's been on NFL radars for quite a while, you know, six, four big receiver athletic, um, has the opportunity to be a big, big time playmaker. Um, there are some folks excited about what Kendra Miller could do at running back in a full season, um, you know, not splitting time uh, or, or not playing behind Zach Evans, who's moved on to Ole Miss. Uh, but also, you know, there's there's uh, a lot of talent behind, you know, beyond uh, both of those guys at the skill positions for sure. And then, you know, if quarterback works itself out and on the surface, you know, Max Duggan has been a 29 game starter 600 plus snaps each of the last two years um, has been productive yet all signs right now early in fall camp and and there were some signs toward the end of last season that that things probably might head in this direction as well but it sounds like Chandler Morris is is kind of the guy to beat um, this is one of the teams that has not uh, you know made an announcement on on a Qb1 um, but right now things are really really trending. Uh, toward Chandler Morris and a lot of the you know, reports and rumors and uh, notes that come out, pecking order and drills and in fall camp things like that. Um, so it'll be interesting to see. You know, Duggan is is a higher rated player in our uh, team performance ratings, largely because he's just played a lot more football than Chandler Morris. Also, he was a slightly higher rated recruit coming out of high school, but Morris had you know a huge game. Uh, last year did some good things, um, when he had an opportunity to play down the stretch. So, you know, it's not a major surprise that, that he's had, uh, a chance to potentially beat out Duggan and it it wouldn't shock me, uh, if he does. And, you know, the way it seems to me, um, TCU, at least the way its roster is built with Quentin Johnson, you know, Tay Barber and Quincy Brown were both returning starters. Uh, Darius Davis um, has played a lot of football, Blair Conright. Uh, you know, they've, they've recruited really well. There's some highly rated guys coming in, including uh, Jordan Hudson at wide receiver who might be, um, you know, a potential big time impact player as a, a, a true freshman uh, that, Based on the the coaching history at SMU and and sort of the you know success that they've had, and it's not just you know throwing it all over the place. I mean SMU's had some really really solid running games um, as well under Dykes, but it seems to me that this TCU offense that was a top forty unit in our team performance ratings overall last year, top thirty on both sides of the ball, could develop into one of the best offenses in the Big Twelve, and if the defense is just you know, <laughs> a top 100 uh, unit. Then TCU should get back to a bowl. If they, you know, take another step forward, which is possible, um, then you know maybe TCU actually could could really make some noise. I mean, I'm I'm starting to. Uh, I think I treated this out a few weeks ago. Like I'm I'm starting to really warm up. To TCU a little bit, a lot of coin flips, a lot of, um, you know, field goal ish uh, projected point spreads, um, including against SMU on the road in that that early season non-conference rivalry game. Um, But at home against Oklahoma, who is, uh, you know, our number one rated uh, Big 12 team, just a field goal underdog at home. Uh, So. TCU is is favored in a lot of games, nine games favored in our, our just, uh, or excuse me, eight games favored in our overall projections, have the talent edge in eight games. Um, so I, I do think that they are going to be a very, very difficult team to beat in the Big 12. And, you know, I'm not usually uh, excited for or expect, you know, that first year, jump with a a new head coach. But sometimes, you know, uh, a a change in leadership, a new voice can kind of spark things a little bit. And there are some, you know, there there are some positive uh, surrounding factors that that make me think that, you know, maybe Dykes and this new coaching staff could do that. Um, The schedule sets up Really, pretty well. I mean, you get both Oklahoma and Oklahoma State at home, Kansas State, who we talked about as everybody's you know sleeper in the Big Twelve, um, also at home, Texas Tech at home. You know, you you want to have those take care of business at home. Um, Texas on the road, Baylor on the road, uh, but you know, TCU's always given Texas some trouble and and Baylor. Uh, they're pretty evenly rated. That game is, is the closest projected point spread uh, on the schedule for the Horn Frogs, and then Iowa State at home. You know, so so it seems like the home schedule sets up well. It seems like three winnable non conference games. Um, this is a team that should go bowling, and and you know I said it a couple of times already today. I'm sure I'll say it more, but if they get a couple of breaks in the right spots. Might have an opportunity to to make some noise, so uh, we are on the over six and a half. I feel I feel pretty good about that. Um, I, I think that TCU, you know, uh, with a little more confidence than I said when I was talking about Washington, I do think TCU will be improved, and I think there's there's a lot of reason to expect, um, you know, bowl eligibility, and then that seventh win is is very uh achievable in my opinion there are a lot of winnable games on the schedule and i think they've got you know the offensive firepower to do it and and hopefully uh can get some things figured out on defense a defense that can't get worse really so uh i do believe that that you know i feel pretty good about the over on, on tcu in year one for sunny dykes
0: Xavier, what are your thoughts on TCU? TCU, consistently a dangerous team, but also consistently
2: inconsistent under exactly. Patterson. <laughs>
0: Had some good years, yeah. but really, really need to rein it in, it seems.
2: Well, you know, Nick, Nick, full disclosure, Nick is a little biased here, just a tad bit. He did draft Sonny Dykes as in the first year head coach draft. So this, oh, this, this, that's this why I forgot all about and that. That's going to
0: okay. change his full opinion on TCU. Did I draft Kalen DeBoer too? Yeah, come on. <laughs> I
2: have to go back and look. Yeah, you might have actually. I I, I only was looking for Sunny Dykes, but you might have. Uh, <laughs> but no, uh, I, I think this is. I think year one for under Sunny Dykes is going to be a, a weird one, uh, as are most things or most years uh, in the in the you know recency for uh, TCU, because I just genuinely think that yes, you're absolutely right, Nick. Their non-conference schedule lends to them you know going two and one minimum, three and O max, obviously, uh, um, you know. But I, I just their schedule for me, I don't like it. I'll be perfectly honest with you. I really don't. Uh, I don't like the idea that, you know, you have to play SMU and Oklahoma back-to-back weeks. Um, I don't like the idea of, you know, <clears throat> you you don't get that cupcake slate that some of these Big 12 teams get uh, where you're able to play like Kansas, Kansas State, and West Virginia and back-to-back-to-back weeks. Uh, you know, they they, they, ha- they have to get Oklahoma State in the middle of the year. Um, now, I will say on the plus side, they do get, you know, those both of those, Oklahoma and Oklahoma State at home. I don't think that matters though for either of those matchups. I like both teams more um, in that situation. Uh, then they finished the year off with a gauntlet, in my opinion. You have to go to, you know, you have to go to Texas, to Baylor, and then Iowa State. Um, I'm not a fan of that stretch either, and, and I just think that this is a team. That at this point, at this juncture, I'm more comfortable saying that they go six and six than I am seven and five. Um, Now, granted, they had a one heck of a you know recruiting class this year. Obviously, they had a 28 overall recruiting class, uh, but they also finished top 15 in the transfer ratings this year. uh, You know, finishing with the 13th transfer rating total, and they brought in a ton of talent, which is you know also for Sonny Dykes in year one. But here's the other thing: Sonny Dykes, as as, you know, he's one of those guys. He coaches teams to where they're supposed to be, but he always gives one away. They always just give one away. And honestly, sometimes it's a coaching thing more than it is just a school. You know, uh, you know, Mike Norvell at Memphis would give one away. Mike Norvell now at Florida State gives a couple away. Now, granted, that's, that's, that's more maybe the talent jump, but he still gives one away that he shouldn't every year. And when I look at the schedule, I, I've got my game that they give away. I, I think they look ahead of, of Texas Tech. November 5th, look ahead to that Texas game, and they look over Texas Tech, and they trip up, and that's where you find, you know, uh, TCU the last couple of years just not being able to put a full season together. And that's my biggest question for Sonny Dykes in year one is, can he put the full year together? You know, I, if, if he starts off 4-0, and or excuse me, 3-0, and 5-2, congratulations. But, you know, I, I want to see him finish – you know, eight and four, nine and three before I get any kind of confidence under my feet uh, when it comes to TCU football because recently they've just not been so inconsistent as as Scott alluded to uh, when he passed it over. you know, this has been a team that what was it since twenty what seventeen hasn't put together a double digit win season. um you know they they've barely scratched seven wins in the last six years they they've just been rather inconsistent and that's what some big wins in there too, which is the most, you know, mind-boggling part of it all they have upsets in there um so i'm not you know i'm not sold on tcu they're gonna have to put a season together for me to go ahead and do that i'm not sold on max duggan just yet uh i think that he's a guy who can take that next step i think that i would love to see it but once again he would have games last year where he looked great and then he would have games where he looked like a backup i was like okay when, when you're able to put it all together, this team will also be able to put it all together. Um, and, and so, you know, I just feel like I'm waiting for a ton of ifs. And we all know on this podcast, I am not a fan of ifs. And uh, TCU just feels like one big if uh, going into this year. So I'm going to pick the under. I think this is a team that goes six and six in Sunny Dyke's first year, uh, which would garner Nick only one point because they went five and seven last year. Uh, you know, <laughs> just, just keeping up with the theme here. Uh, and yeah, I, I think that Sunny Dyke's year is a better year uh, than what they had last year, but only slightly. You, you brought up something really interesting i i went
1: back and and looked it up to see um but under Sonny dykes smu really did struggle to finish in the back half of the schedule i mean last year they lost four of their final five after starting seven and oh um in 2020 they lost three of their final five in 2019 uh, they lost three of their final five, including the bowl game, got blown out. And then, you know, in 2018 is, is first year. They they just struggled but also lost three of their final five. So um, a few of those years, I mean, 10-win season in 2019 started great. Last year started great and then really fell off in, in the second half. So it'll be interesting to see if that trend continues under Dykes uh, because, you know, that that – as you mentioned is is something that uh, he specifically uh, has, has struggled with the last few years.
0: All right, let's go over to the uh, next school. Number 31, Houston in between losses to Texas tech week one in Cincinnati in the AAC championship game. Houston won 11 in a row. The Cougs also beat Auburn 17 to 13 in the Birmingham bowl to cap a 12 and two uh, uh, season and eight and a run. Nine is the DK win total for them. We have them at eight and four, so under the nine. But, Nick, with for Houston, uh, before running back Alden McCaskill's ACL injury this spring, Houston was favored in all 12 games in our early projections. Are the Cougars the team to beat for a New, York, uh, a New Year's Six Bowl uh, slot? And can they follow Cincinnati as a G5 playoff contender, a real G5 playoff contender?
1: Well, neither will be in the G five uh, that much longer. But um, it's it's uh, kind. Of, I'm I'm torn a little bit. I do think Houston is the team to be uh, for that New Year six slot. If I were if I were to take my own personal uh, power rankings on you know an expected order of finish, uh, I would expect Houston you know, I I would pencil in Houston to that top spot first and then work from there. They're not our highest rated, uh, G five team. They're third in our AAC, uh, rankings, uh, ratings, but you know, part of that is schedule and their schedule sets up really pretty well. Uh, you mentioned that we did have them favored in all 12 games before Alton McCaskill went down with an entry. Um, they're now favored in 10 according to our projections and the two that they're not UTSA in the season opener is less than one point. And, you know, I actually think we're maybe on the wrong side of that. I probably have Houston favored in that game. Uh, and then SMU on the road, um, both of those games on the road, but uh, you know, both are uh, in-state matchups. Um, and then every other game, you know, they're, they're favored. So uh, they've got, one of the most experienced most productive quarterbacks in the American and Clayton Tune back a guy who um you know can can beat you in multiple ways uh can be a productive runner you know see him break off some some long touchdown runs uh but also you know pretty good passer and has some uh talented guys to work with as well and Nathaniel Dell you know, all American type receiver certainly has that potential. Keyshawn Carter can do a variety of things starting receiver, but also has you know, played a little running back in his past tight end, Christian Trahan, not the most productive receiver as a tight end, but uh, a guy who's been around for a long time and, and, you know, is kind of can be that uh, safety blanket of sorts. One of the biggest impact potential true freshmen in the country wide receiver, Michael golden, or excuse me, Matthew golden. Um, it looks like he's going to get a starting role and they brought in five transfer receivers, all of whom could, uh, potentially, you know, make an impact. Sam Brown from West Virginia, Joseph Panjak from UNS, uh, excuse me, USC. Hearing some good things about both of those guy, guys out of fall camp. And then another returner, a, a high school, uh, recruit from a while ago who hasn't played very much, you know, less, than a hundred snaps combined over the last two years. But, uh, Peyton Sawyer apparently is, is making some noise in fall camp. So it seems that, you know, offensively, um, the pieces are there skill position wise for sure, uh, for Houston to be, uh, you know, one of the better offenses in the American, they do have an all conference left tackle in Patrick Paul, he's one of only two returning starters, but, um, They've got some experience. They brought in a couple of transfers, guys like Tyler Johnson, Lance Robinson, who are going to compete for playing time. And then defensively, Houston has been excellent. Uh, You know, last year they were a top 10 defense in our team performance ratings. Um, You know, have had guys drafted off of that defense pretty consistently in recent years. Last year there were three. Uh, draft picks that, that came from this uni- unit: Logan Hall, first pick of the second round, um, a third rounder, Marcus Jones, who can do everything uh, for the New England Patriots, and and then Baltimore took DeMarion Williams in the fourth. So um, they they have some you know uh, some holes to fill. Uh, David Nai was was a 100 rated player, as was Deontay Anderson, um, and, and both of those guys didn't get drafted, but you know we're we're solid. College players, Derek Parrish returns, who is that All-Conference Max-rated player, edge defender, uh, and they do have, uh, you know, uh, Javarius Owens uh, at safety is is uh, you know the most experienced and productive of a, a pretty talented uh, secondary that they've done a lot of work with, you know, recruiting JUCO players and taking transfers. Um, But this defense has been so good and then is, you know, really, really well coached. Um, Just read a a piece on ESPN.com a a little bit ago uh, about Doug Belk at at, uh, Houston. And, you know, he was a guy that Alabama came after not long ago. Tried to um, get him on staff. Great recruiter. Great coach. Uh, Houston opted to, you know, actually fire who they had as uh, their defensive coordinator and and promote Belk. And it seems like he's going to be on, you know, a lot of short lists as a a future head coach. Um, But that side of the football has been a real strength for Houston. And I don't think we'll see a a big time drop off. It might not be quite as good, might not be an elite unit. Um, But that offense, you know, even though they only rank 50th in offensive team performance, Part of that was a rushing uh, attack that ranked seventy seventh, even with McCaskill being as good as he was as a true freshman. I think Houston is is really well positioned, and the schedule sets up really, really nicely. I mean, some competitive non conference games early on, uh, but then you know they don't play Cincinnati. Uh, they you know have to go to Memphis, but don't play uh, UCF either. So you know don't have either of the top two rated uh conference rivals according to our numbers. So you'd expect if they get through that slate with you know zero or or maybe uh one loss, um, we'll have an opportunity to, to play one of those two in the conference championship game, maybe get a little revenge if it's Cincinnati. But Houston is is definitely, even though um we are on the under just because the the way sort of the numbers shake out as far as some pretty close, uh, projected point spreads. And, and nine is, you know, it's hard to win nine games in in a 12 game regular season. But if you look at individually, we've got them favored in 10, as I mentioned, those other two are really, really tight talent edges in 11. And then our stats only model, which, you know, only, uh, as stats only, uh, it takes away all the talent stuff. Um, loves houston has them favored in all 12 regular season games so um things can certainly go wrong and you know 11 and one would be a huge huge year another 11 win season would be um excellent 12 win season is certainly possible for houston Um, so i'm not very confident we're on the under because i just think things are kind of lining up that unless we get another you know major injury at a, a big time impact position, or that defense really does you know take a big step back based on all that NFL talent they lost, um, I think Houston is has got a really really good chance to uh, not only be a New Year Six contender, but you know if they take care of business in that opener at UTSA and and uh, you know at SMU, um,
0: then. 12-0 is, is certainly on the table. Xavier, your thoughts about Houston. I mean, uh, do you think that this is another G5-like Cincinnati team that can uh, potentially push for a playoff spot, or do you think that Cincinnati was maybe its own kind of thing?
2: No, I mean, I, I won't go as far as playoff spot now. Uh, I, I think that their schedule doesn't lend itself to having those many big win possibilities to do that. You know, Cincinnati obviously had uh, – uh, I just blanked Cincinnati had, I believe it was Notre Dame. Notre, Notre Dame. Notre Dame. And yeah. Indiana. Right. And high, had, high, but yeah. You know, but out. they had, they, they had the, the hype coming into the year, the high ranking also with a couple of big names. Well, you know, Notre Dame and Indiana who was coming off of a good year. So Houston doesn't have that same schedule. Maybe if you replace Texas tech for Texas, then maybe you got a shot. Uh, but with them only having Texas tech on that schedule, as your one, uh, you know, your P five, I'm, nah i'm not gonna go on that far Uh, well obviously kansas excuse me how how can i forget kansas my bad kansas fans you guys are in the p5 too uh but yeah i I just i I can't go that far i do think this is a 12-0 ball club though i think this team is going to run the gauntlet Uh, not only do they they avoid cincinnati and ucf but they get you know uh they get their non-conference games i say on the road with a massive air quote san antonio and lubbock can't be too far away from houston in the in the grand scheme of things they're not going to Hawaii.
0: You know how big Texas so. is. Right here? <laughs> okay. It's,
2: okay. It's, it's a long way. But well, no. But they're not, they're, not going to, they're not going to USC, is what I meant. Uh, you, you know, I, I just don't see that, you know, it's not them traveling out of their state. Let's put it that way. Um, uh, you know, so I, I do think that they're not having to go, oh, you know, too far away, in my opinion. My bad.
0: So um, El paso Paso's about a 12-hour drive. Yeah, my bad.
2: My spaces, bad. You know? my That's bad.
0: in the same yeah. state too. So yeah, but
2: they're not gonna be driving. I know. It's I'm just saying,
0: uh, it, you're right. They're not going to California. Okay. I,
2: I, so. you know, I'm just saying, you know, what is it—a 45 minute to an hour and a half flight max? Just, just just a question. Uh, okay. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, I just think, you know, when you when when you says Texas, you're you're fine at least to understanding you're not having changed time zones all that good stuff. Uh, the one trip up game I will have them on obviously is them going to Memphis. If Memphis shows up, as we know, Memphis can at times. That's going to be a game that I think that, you know, if they slip up, that's what it's going to be. Uh, I think they'll handle business everywhere else. Uh, the other part about Memphis is, you know, they they, they played them right before a bye week. So they might be licking some wounds right before that game. Uh, but I do ultimately think that this is a team. This is the best team in the AAC or one of, if, if not the best team. I, I'm pretty bullish on Houston going into this year. I think Clayton Toon is the best quarterback in that conference and maybe the one of, if not the best quarterback in the G5 level. I love that kid. I think he's got all the makings. The You know, the duel that he had with Desmond Ritter in the AAC championship game was so much fun to watch last year. And I just felt Cincinnati was just a better team, even though in that game, if I'm not mistaken, Houston led at the half. So, you know, I, I think Houston's poised to make that run. Yes, they lost a ton of talent, but Houston has lost a ton of talent before. Everybody remembers that Oliver. They, they lost him too. You know, and he was taken in the top, you know, he was a first-round draft pick. You know, may have been even a top 10 guy if it wasn't for some off the field issues at the time. So, you know, Houston's lost, you know, uh, NFL talent before and has been able to bounce back relatively. You know, I won't say. you, know, Yeah, relatively easy. Um, I'm not going to call them. I'm not saying they're Alabama or anything, but I, I really like Houston going into this year. Uh, this has been a team that consistently finds themselves at the top of their conferences, uh, continues to compete at a high level. And I just see I don't see why this will be the year where they slip up, where, you know, all things point to Houston. You know, I Cincinnati's not what they were last year. They talk about, you know, ton of talent loss. They're not. You know, uh, UCF is, you know, should be better this year. I feel like they, you know, kind of downplayed last year. But I'm not so sure, certain that they're going to just, you know, rise to the top of the AAC again like it's nothing. And I'm not sold on Dylan Gabriel. Uh, not Dylan Gabriel. But I'm not sold on their quarterback situation either. So I like Houston. I think they make a run at this. Not going to go playoff implications. But New York's New York's uh New Year's Six Bowl, absolutely. This is gonna be a team that plays, I don't know, the winner of the loser of Ohio State, Michigan in a in a you know, in a New Year's six bowl like next year, and maybe has bragging rights over a over a quote, quote unquote, you know, blue collar team.
0: Uh I like that we had the same trip up there on the New York uh Yeah, bowl. man. I, I it, mean, it I don't it just NY going together. You it's didn't even, even do it NY's six. on the sheets. Yeah. Well, I know It's, it's not. just <laughs> something that we trip over, Nick, all right? We're going to have to get used to it. It's going to be a New York Six Bowl. Uh, New York doesn't on. even have a
2: New Year's Six Bowl. <laughs> <laughs> the pinstripe. Uh, uh, yeah, uh, they do have the
0: pinstripe. Uh, num- number 30 here uh, We as we move up, Penn State. Penn State uh, started 5-0 and and rose to number 4 in the AP poll, but a 23-20 loss to Iowa was the first – of six over their final eight games for the Nittany Lions, a loss to Arkansas in the Outback Bowl, sent Penn State to seven and six on the year. Uh, DK's got their win total at eight and a half. We have them at seven and five, so well under that eight and a half. And, Nick, for Penn State, uh, this has been a team that has underachieved its talent potential recently. Should we expect more of the same in 2022, or will the talented Nittany Lions make a move in that tough Big Ten East division?
1: Penn State's kind of moving into the territory of a, a team that I just can't really trust. Um, they are talented. I mean, top 25 roster strength.
0: Texas of the North here.
1: There you go. Uh, USC of the East. I don't know. Uh, but they are incredibly talented. You know, uh, 22nd yeah. overall roster strength, 19th on the offensive side of the ball. Another team that consistently um, puts. Especially defensive players, but a lot of players in the NFL. Uh, I mean, counted up one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight guys drafted last year, uh, including a first-round pick wide receiver, John Dotson. So um, he's going to be really difficult to replace defensively. Um, they're you know they're down to thirty-first in roster strength uh, last year. They were top fifteen. Uh, so that side of the ball, which was a strength, they were top twenty. And team performance on the defensive side of the ball, fourth against the pass. Um, you know, it's going to be a little bit of a, a new look on the defensive side of the ball. They do, you know, should be solid up front. Hopefully, uh, guys like P.J. Mustafer and Adisa Isaac, who were hurt last year, uh, Isaac missed all of last year, uh, Mustapher the second half of the season, basically. You know, if they get both of those guys back who are projected starters, then that should be a pretty good, you know, at least starting group. Uh, one of the better top half starting groups uh, at the defensive line in the Big Ten. And, you know, top four. They're top four in the Big Ten and in our defensive line talent numbers. So um, starting, you know, pretty solid there. The secondary, even though they lost uh, multiple draft picks. Jaquan Brisker, second rounder. Take one Castro Fields, sixth rounder. Uh, looks like it. Should be you know somewhat of a strength. Joey Porter Jr. is back. Jair Brown is back. Uh, looks like Caleb King's going to be sliding into uh, that other starting corner uh, spot. Um, a former uh, or yeah, you know, former defensive back guy who's played a lot, a lot of football. I think was just named a starter for the or excuse me, a, a team captain for the fourth time. Fourth time. Uh, Jonathan Sutherland has moved from. Uh, Nickelback to linebacker. Uh, he'll likely pair up with Curtis Jacobs for sure. And then maybe Kobe King, Tyler Elson uh, for that other spot. But, you know, on paper, uh, that looks like it might be a little bit of a question mark beyond Jacobs, just because Sutherland, you know, not really built like a linebacker, uh, certainly has the ability, I think, to, to make some plays there. But um, if there is a spot where you look at uh, you know, they've had such good linebacker play in recent years, um, including another guy who got drafted. Brandon Smith was a fourth rounder uh, and Ellis Brooks wasn't bad either, um, but a little bit of a drop off, certainly in an experience and, and maybe a little bit in town as well, but it's on the offensive side of the ball are, are the big questions. And you mentioned that Penn State you know, rose so high and then that Iowa loss, they were winning that game, I believe in the second half. Uh, when Sean Clifford went down and, or, or, you know, right before halftime, maybe, uh, was when he went down, but, um, they just could not get anything going at that point with take Robertson, who has since, uh, transferred to UConn and, and is in the mix to start there. But, you know, not a whole lot of people love Sean Clifford. He doesn't get a ton of respect, uh, but he's a six year player started 33 games in his career, long-time starter, and seems like you know he'll he'll be um, at least I would hope uh, a little bit improved. You know, maybe maybe it's a not saying he's Kenny Pickett, but this was kind of a Kenny Pickett scenario: a guy who had shown some flashes, played a lot of football, uh, had you know been productive in spurts, but never really put it all together. Develops into. A conference championship-winning quarterback in the first-round pick. Not saying that Sean Clifford probably far from it, but um, it's not a major weak spot on, on the roster, probably. And you know, if he gets hurt, last year obviously it, it with Roberson just wasn't able to get it done. But uh, Christian Villieu uh, has impressed some people at times, and then Drew Allar, or Allar, I, I my pronunciation might be incorrect, uh, is a you know five-star caliber recruit coming in that a lot of people are really, really excited about another five star that they recruited, who it sounds like is basically moved his, his, uh, way to the top of the depth chart at running back is Nick Singleton. Somebody that, um, is getting a ton of, of buzz, um, uh, might a be, John lob
0: favorite, right? There, oh Nick yeah. I mean, he,
1: he might be the Travion Henderson of, of 2022. And, and if Penn state gets that, you know, after finishing 125th, in rushing team performance last year even if he's not trading on Henderson you know even if he's half as good um or they get you know a little bit more out of guys like Kevon Lee Devin Ford they've got another true freshman they're excited about in Cade Allen um you would expect that 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 running game kind of like I was talking about the TCU defense if this Penn State running game I mean it can't get worse right and there's some positive signs to expect it could get quite a bit better, maybe. Um, then that's going to be an opportunity for this team to, to show some real improvement and win some of the games that's supposed to win when it's got the more talented team. Um, but, you know, it, it, it not only was the rushing attack very bad, the passing attack, even with a first-round receiver, uh, wasn't all that great. I mean, they were 71st in team performance. Parker Washington is back, co-starter last year with, uh, with Dotson. They added Mitchell Tinsley, who had a huge, huge year in that Western Kentucky offense. Um, You know, that seems like a pretty good one two punch at receiver. Keandre Lambert Smith played a lot last year, had his moments. Britton Strange at tight end. Um, You know, Theo Johnson was a former, you know, five star caliber tight end uh, a couple of years ago, hasn't quite turned that into. you know, hasn't emerged as a playmaking tight end necessarily, but the potential is there. And if they get a little bit better offensive line play, which was a big reason why that running game struggled as much as it did last year. Um, there's an opportunity, I think for this offense to take a step forward, not saying it's going to be a top 25 offense, not saying it's going to be, you know, one of the best in the big 10 or, or even the big 10 East. Uh, but, they are, they are talented and there's certainly some opportunity. Uh, And if, you know, quarterback play, if they get a little bit better quarterback play and and hopefully Sean Clifford is fully healthy, because I know that injury did linger uh, for a few weeks, then, then maybe Penn state's going to, going to have a shot. I mean, they, they open up uh, with a big 10 rival right away on the road at Purdue. Purdue is, is a really tough team uh to, to put away, have had some big time uh, upsets in the past. We've got Penn State favored slightly in that game. They have to go to Auburn, difficult matchup. Uh, sandwich that between two Mac opponents. And then, you know, the the gauntlet that is the Big Ten East, they they play Michigan on the road. They host Ohio State. They play Michigan State at home. Um, but you know, in addition to Purdue, uh, those crossover games, Northwestern can give some, some folks trouble. And then Minnesota might be, you know, among the favorites. So it's, it's a difficult schedule. It doesn't set up all that well uh, for them to, to take a big step forward one loss record wise. But if the offense is better and I think there's reason to believe it will improve and outside chance that it could improve considerably. um, you know, Penn State's going to be a tough team to beat because they do have uh, a lot of talent on the roster and, and they've made some additions at times, not a ton, but Tinsley's going to be a big time playmaker. Uh, Hunter Nuzard, who is a, a 20 game starter at Cornell, seems like he's going to have an opportunity to, to uh, play a lot on the offensive line. And then there's an edge rusher that, you know, Maryland, I know, was really, really excited about when they signed to uh Robinson who's going to uh, have an opportunity might not have quite the impact that Arnold, uh, Ibuketi did, uh, last year as a, a first year transfer, but, you know, pure talent wise is, is in the neighborhood, I think. So Penn State, Penn State's a pretty intriguing team. Um, it's like I said, they're, they're a difficult team for me to trust based on the last couple of years, um, specifically, but it's, it's you know, been kind of a thing, uh, for even longer. Um, they, they lose some games to inferior opponents to, to less talented teams. Um, so until they get that figured out, it's going to be difficult for me to, to really expect that, that they will be, um, a big time factor in the division or in the big 10, uh, as a whole. But I do think, I mean, we have a favored in nine talent is in nine stats only model, has them in ten, so even though we are uh, quite a bit on the under uh, for eight and a half, you know the, the the potential is there for them to be a ten win team. So uh, I'll believe it when I see it. But you know, one of these years, perhaps Penn State's going to play up to that talent level. Uh, I'm just not sure whether or not it's it's going to be
0: 2022. Javier, your thoughts on Penn State? Do you think that uh, they could potentially? Meet expectations this year, or are we looking at another uh, somewhat disappointing yet good record year from Penn State, like we've seen recently?
2: Nick did it again. He he said the operative word. He he said that Penn State, you know, has a chance. I feel like we've said that for the last like three or four seasons. You know, whether it was Trace it's McSorley, been fringe or now top, top twenty-five
1: teams. teams. They've always <laughs> been a fringe top twenty-five team. <laughs> they, Trace right.
2: McSorley right. or, or, or Sean Clifford. It doesn't matter. It should have been a fringe the, top ten team the last few years. Yeah, I agree with you. You know they, they probably shouldn't have lost in what was it? Was it six overtime, Illinois? However many it was, uh, nine in overtime, Illinois. So you know, I, like like let's put it together. Penn State, can we put a season together? Um, you know, uh, I'm, I'm also I think a lot of Penn State fans maybe just gave you a really tough look when you said Big Ten rival Penn State or Purdue. To start the year off well out. big 10 you know <laughs> like, like georgia I know, and
1: mississippi I, state or big or sec right yeah just, you, know, you know
2: I know i know a ton of Penn State fans are like really we've dropped this far well, their whole thing
1: <laughs> is unrivaled right so, <laughs> anyway.
2: uh but no uh you know I, I agree i think their schedule for them is just daunting their, their schedule as it typically is is hellacious they don't give themselves a lot of tip uh, a lot of easy non-conference games um you know and this year the same applies, you know, I, I'm, I, they should beat Ohio and in, in central Michigan, but central Michigan, but having to go to Auburn, you know, regardless of whether or not Auburn is going to be, you know, a team that competes for an SEC title at all. As I talked about last year with Auburn, Alabama, it's never easy to go down there and play. It's just not, unless your name is Georgia. They have a good time down there, but you know, they, they just, I, it's going to be difficult. It is. It's going to be a rather difficult game for them to do. You know, last year, I believe that they were much better than Auburn, and they still only won that game by eight points, if I'm not mistaken. You know, this year I, I think they're going to either have to win by the skin of their teeth, or Auburn is going to walk away with that ball game. Um, obviously, I think that game comes down in the quarterback play, but uh, we'll get to that obviously in Week Three. When you look at the rest of the schedule after their bye week, man, you can't you can't ask for a worse schedule after a bye week, right? You go to Michigan, you get Minnesota and Ohio State in three weeks in a row. They could lose all three be perfectly honest with you you know not only that then you know you get a bit of a reprieve with with Indiana and Maryland and and at Rutgers and then you finish your year off with Michigan State who once again you know you can lose that ball game when when I look at Penn State this has got to be a team that finally decides to be a competitor and to finally decides to compete with the teams you know above them you know I feel like they are consistently always just the third or fourth best team in the big 10. Uh, and they, they 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 almost feel comfortable in that range. And, and I don't know when they're going to take that next step. I don't know if it's going to be this year with Sean Clifford at quarterback. From what I've gotten from all of you know Penn State Twitter is that they're really ramping up for next season. They love Drew Aller. They think he's the future. They love the youth that they have on this roster. And they think that next season will be the year that they take that next step. Um, I've got a couple of them that I talk to that, that don't even think Sean Clifford is going to make it through the year. And so there's, there's a lot of pessimism coming out of happy Valley. There's a ton of pessimism coming out of there uh, about this team going into this year. Uh, They, they believe that the defense is going to take a regression after not one, but two, uh, you know, two pretty good defenses that got pretty much everybody taken off of it draft wise. You know, you talked about Michael Parsons two years ago, you talk about Arnold Ebicchetti, you know, Jaquan Brisker this year. Um, So, you know, and you talk about the lack of receiving core that they'll have again, that they'll have to rebuild again, losing some, losing some talent. So, Penn State for me, I, I I think just has to go over just because you, you you know they're not a team that falls too far off of the beaten path. Uh, they're not they're not typically a team that goes six and six. Um, you know, but yeah, that over that that over prognostication is looking real shaky. The more and more and more I talk about it out loud, uh, I, I just don't. I'm gonna go under. I'm going to go under. I wanted to be positive, but I, I just can't. I, I think they lose to Auburn. I think they lose to Michigan. I think they lose to Ohio State. And then you can't tell me that they don't drop another one, whether it's Minnesota, whether it's Michigan State, one of those two games. So I'm going to go under. I think this is a team that finishes 7-5. Uh, even if they finish 8-4, it's an under. Um, but they've got to finally figure out a way out of getting out of that hole. They, they currently just kind of, once again, they sit as a third or fourth team every year. They've got to figure a way out of there. James Franklin, for all the good he's done at Penn State, they haven't been able to put together a year where I'm like, this is it. This is the year Penn State makes a run at the Big Ten Championship. And I don't know if that's just because of the gap that Ohio State has created, but it also just feels like Michigan has somehow surpassed them with all of the leverage Michigan's been giving to the rest of the conference the last couple of years um, up until last season.
0: I know it's two different situations, but it's like you know, James Franklin – always kind of being on the hot seat and his team going to bowl games consistently versus Shaw at Stanford winning yeah. three games and just his seat not being even warm is what just kind of, you know, blows my mind about some of these jobs and just, and what, it, what are the expectations at these universities oh, uh, and how they agree differ, more. you know? So I, I really um,
2: feel like Penn state is, I feel like Penn state needs the kind of view that like Oklahoma state had last year for them to finally feel like they've arrived and like you can finally feel confident because before last year, Oklahoma state was pretty much a a team that would win nine wins every year, but just couldn't get over the, the Oklahoma or the, you know, the Texas sized hump to, to get to a, you know, and then obviously it it took so long that Baylor started to kind of creep up and surpass them a little bit. And you've seen that with Michigan state. Now with Mel Tucker, they've kind of figured it out. And Penn state is kind of still in this exact same place they were when they hired James Franklin.
0: Very similar scenarios for sure. Let's go to the SEC with team number 29 here, Ole Miss. And with Matt Corral behind center and battling through injuries late, Ole Miss won 10 games with losses only to Alabama, Auburn, and uh, the Sugar Bowl against uh, Big 12 champion Baylor. Seven and a half is the DK win total. We have them at seven and five, so under that seven and a half. The question here for Ole Miss, Nick, you know, Corral will be difficult to replace. We don't know yet if it's going to be Jackson Dart or Luke Altmaier uh, who are going to lead the Rebels. But with the top ten ranking in roster strength, is the QB situation going to hurt Lane Kiffin's squad here, having to replace a uh, NFL draft pick in Matt Corral? Uh,
1: you know, I mean, it's always uh, always a little bit of uh, concern uh, when when you're having to go from. One of the, at least in recent memory, uh, you know, one of the better quarterbacks you've had at a school, very similar to what we talked about earlier with North Carolina. I mean, that's a big loss, Uh, uh, you know, having to replace somebody who is that talented and and productive and, and experienced. And certainly it can work out. I mean, certainly, um, we have seen teams. I think I've said this before that I still need to get myself a more appropriate, or at least more up to date, example. But I always think Tennessee won the national championship the year after Peyton Manning was drafted. Right? I I do think that you know Jackson Dart or Luke Altmaier, who it sounds like is really really making a push for that job, can sort of help Ole Miss maintain. Uh, there are parts of me that thinks that that if Dart is the guy and it sounds like he, you know, I know he had a really bad spring game. Sounds like there've been some uh, ups and downs throughout uh, the spring and in the fall camp as well. Did hear some good news in their most recent scrimmage. At least he put up a really uh, nice stat line. But what I saw from Dart at times at USC last year makes me think that his ceiling is really high. I mean, it, it you know, it, it's difficult to make this comparison because maybe I need another another better comparison to make. But uh, there was a little, you know, Johnny Manziel-ish uh, sort of element to his game um, when we first saw him on the field at, at USC. So uh, I, I feel that Ole Miss has the potential um, to be just as good and, and, you know, maybe even better if... Uh, it's dark and he plays up to that level of excitement it kind of plays beyond what some of the reports are uh, that we're getting out of, out of practice. Maybe he's just the type of guy that um, has to, to go the next level uh, on the field in live action, not necessarily a great practice player. I don't know. Um, but, you know, maybe Altmaier takes advantage and, and does outperform in, in practice and then uh, is able to, to translate that into, uh on field performance on Saturdays. I'm 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 not sure. But it's difficult to imagine, at least immediately, that Ole Miss is going to be better at the quarterback position without Matt Corral. However, you know, this was a, a team that ran the football really well last year. Uh top 20 in team performance uh rushing and might actually have a, a a little bit better running back group uh, than they had, and and they lost a former five star and another guy who got drafted. Um, but Zach Evans, you know, he's had his his ups and downs as well. Uh, but the talent is just undeniable, and you know, probably is is going to be uh, an NFL player this time next year. Ulysses Bentley was part of some, you know, really good uh, SMU rushing attacks the last couple of years. He was limited. Both guys were limited uh, by injury last season, but, you know, I think that that combo and then there's a lot of buzz, you know, for true freshman Quinshawn Judkins that he could have a role early on. That's a, that's a solid group. And, And, you know, that rushing offense and Dart. You know, we've seen that he can add an element as a runner as well. So they're probably going to be in a pretty good spot there. They've attacked the transfer portal hard in the receiving core as well. Jalen Robinson, um, who sounds like is a little bit banged up right now, but the transfer from UCF, formerly somewhere else, Oklahoma, I think. Um, uh, you know, Jordan Watkins from Louisville, Malik Heath from Mississippi State, Michael Trigg, the tight end from USC, who is, you know, off the charts, Athletic, another guy who you know had some injury uh, limitations last year, but has really, really high end potential. And then Jonathan Mingo, who uh, our buddy Eric Froton shared the story at the uh, expo this past weekend. That you know one of the things that he did when he went to the NFL Scouting Combine uh, earlier this year was just ask you know who's the next guy up with a sort of a, a CFF uh, mine you know, sort of behind that, that question. And and he said that uh, guys like Dontario Drummond and Braylon Sanders uh, were quick to say that Jonathan Mingo, um, you know, it's just going to step into that, that number one role. And, and he's been a, a good player, played a lot, productive at times as well. So, you know, Ole Miss certainly has skill position players, um, even though they've had losses, you know, Lane Kiffin, the, the self-proclaimed portal king. Uh, has done a really, really good job of filling those holes. They do have to replace a couple of starters on the offensive line, but they brought in one of those likely uh, through the transfer portal and Mason Brooks, uh, longtime you know, starter thousand snaps last year uh, at Western Kentucky. And then the defense, which was the, the inferior side of the ball, especially uh, really struggled stopping the run. They're in 107th last year in rushing defensive team performance, there are transfers all over the place as well. And, a, you know, just pretty talented base of players uh, also. But uh, guys like Troy Brown coming up from Central Michigan should be uh, a fixture in the middle of the defense. Cedric Johnson kind of overshadowed last year for, by uh, Sam Williams, but was highly, highly productive for Ole Miss last year and, and should be kind of the star, at least, uh, you know, of the edge rushers. Uh, and then the secondary is is the most experienced group by far, brings back four returning starters um, out of their 3-2-6 uh, um, base. But they added a couple of guys who you know have played quite a bit as well. Shim Young was a starter at Iowa State. Miles Battle wasn't actually technically a starter last year at Ole Miss, but um, played some big moments and as a 6-4 corner, uh, is, is a pretty imposing uh player as well. So Ole Miss, fortunately, you know, there are a lot of moving parts, a lot of new faces. There's certainly a lot of excitement for some of those. There's certainly some questions as well, especially there at quarterback. But the thing that I like for, you know, will they actually be able to um, be just as good or, or, you know, maybe have an opportunity to be better? The schedule sets up really, really well in the first half. I mean, they could be seven and zero going into uh, Baton Rouge in, uh, on October 22nd. Um, the game against Kentucky a little bit of a toss up, but they do have that at home. Uh, similar with Auburn, but there will be you know double digit favor or you know double uh, digit favorites against Troy, Central Arkansas, Georgia Tech, Tulsa. And Vanderbilt, so they'll have an opportunity to kind of work out the kinks, and then uh, could, you know, put some uh, some scares at least into teams like LSU, Texas A&M on the road. They get a bye week before they host Alabama. Um, so Ole Miss is going to be a really really interesting team. They have a high ceiling. I think that it's only natural to expect the win total to come down a little bit and there are ways that this could go wrong. Part of that, they have to replace coordinators on both sides of the ball. Um, but well, this is going to be a lot of fun. They they have been under Lane Kiffin and, and they should continue to be. So uh, even though, you know, we're on the under and I do think that the ceiling for this team is 10 wins maybe. Uh, ten or better. But I I do think that even at this price, which by the way I, we do have the odds for all of our over unders based on that that DraftKings posted win total at the time uh, that we we create the sheet, uh, we're paying a price for Ole Miss if they go under seven and a half. A one hundred dollar bet's only going to get uh sixty eight dollars and ninety six cents. Uh, so that minus one forty five. A lot of people are on the under uh, as well. Um, but I think that there's there's actually I kind of wish we were on the over because I think that they uh, will be you know six and one uh, maybe at worst uh, excuse me at, at worst when they go into LSU and that's a winnable game because LSU's got a lot of new faces as well so really interesting team should start really really strong and then it'll be fun to see how they react to that whether or not they rise to the occasion and and become a contender in the sec west or whether uh what should be a six and one seven and oh start um was sort of built on kind of an easy schedule it's going to be it's going to be interesting to see how it all plays out for
0: sure Xavier, your thoughts on on all miss uh what do you think of this quarterback um competition here and how good do you think the the rebs can be in 2022
2: I mean, it really depends all on who's quarterback and, and how they perform. You really think, you know, Lane Kiffin is an offensive guru. We all know that. But Lane Kiffin also hasn't had to maybe, you know, Matt Corral kind of, I don't say he hit the ground running, but John Rice Plumley kind of carried them into that, into Matt Corral's first big year. Uh, you know, so I really think this is a huge year for for Jackson Dart. He's got to figure it out if he wins that job. If he doesn't, he really might be. I'm not gonna say he's gonna be on some Tate Martell kind of stuff, but he might have to transfer again. I mean, this this might be a situation where if he doesn't if he doesn't win the job outright, uh, he may have to transfer transfer to a third team. And I would hate to see that because I love Jackson Dart, but it it, it it definitely comes down to whether or not who who's the quarterback and whether or not they can find some form of consistency while their schedule is easy, because their schedule they're not conference schedule. is cupcake. That's Troy, Central Arkansas, at Georgia Tech, Tulsa. They should win all four of those games, no matter who's at quarterback. Um, but then you go ahead and get Kentucky, you know, Auburn, LSU, A&M in the next four of your, in four of your next five. By that point, you have to have a defined quarterback. You have to, you're not going to be able to come into SEC play with, you know, trying out two guys at that point, You're four games in, hopefully you're four 0 at that point, you really expect Lane Kiffin to have found his guy. Uh, if not, it's going to be a long season because their season is very unforgiving. Their schedule, excuse me, is very unforgiving. Um, they play only one real bottom tier SEC team in Vanderbilt. They get Mississippi State in the Egg Bowl, but you never know with that game. You know, throw the records out with that kind of game because of it, it being such a rivalry game. They they get Alabama at home, fun. Uh, I mean, uh, so I, I just don't think that this is a year where if you're Ole Miss you can you can kind of you know play with the quarterback situation you just can't you've got to figure it out and kind of roll with the guy even if you know i won't say even if he's bad but even if he has a bad half, you've kind of got to roll with whomever you choose at this point lane because whoever comes out as the guy after the tulsa game has got to be the guy through sec play or you're in trouble you're just going to be in trouble i don't know so maybe somebody can find it out for me the last time a team won nine games or even you know, eight games running a two quarterback system where it actually successfully did it. Um, and I'll be surprised to, to be perfectly honest with you. The other piece to this is, and I will say this, they brought in a ton of transfers. So I don't know if that's indicative of what they feel they need, especially on the defensive end, you know, out of their out of the top transfers that they brought in, only, you know, four out of the six of them were on the defensive end. Uh, they bring, you know, bring in uh, four, 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 four-star transfer defensive ends or not defensive defenders excuse me i just really feel like this is a team that is is or lane kiffin is attempting to you know get this team over the hump this year and it's just not going to work out i feel like this is a stopgap year for them and Lane not wanting to completely bottom out after losing Matt Corral is attempting to, you know, keep them afloat, keep them competitive. And I think it. I'm not going to say it's going to completely backfire, but I don't see it having a, a high success rate uh, this season. I feel like this is a team that needs to take the I won't say take the year off, but definitely needs to take a, a year re- realizing that they did just lose their starting quarterback, that they did just probably lose, you know, the, the, one of the better quarterbacks that they've had over the last you know decade at Ole Miss and, and just and just be OK with that situation. You know, sometimes getting all these transfers in as a stopgap does more bad than good in the long run because it takes time away from the kids uh, that are behind them that are younger. that may have a more long-term impact at your university versus a short-term impact. Uh, so I'm going to say Mississippi barely, barely goes under. I think this is a seven-to-five ball club. I think I'm even being nice with that, to be perfectly honest with you. I think in a year where if LSU was more of a, a – uh, you know, not a complete dumpster fire at the quarterback situation. I would even have them losing to them outright, uh, but give me the, give me losing, give me them losing to Kentucky, Auburn, A&M, Alabama, Arkansas. That's their five losses. Um, like I said, I, I think I would even give them a six loss if LSU was a little bit better, uh, but I'm not going to be too, uh, it's going to be a weird year for Ole Miss if they cannot figure out this quarterback situation. I um, mean, Lane's not been a guy who makes who mentions his words at all. Um, I think he has a guy in mind coming into the year. Um, I think he's just going to ride with that guy until the wheels fall off, to be perfectly honest with you.
0: All right, let's go over to the next team up, number 28, UCF. Quarterback Dylan Gabriel suffered an injury at the end of UCF's loss to Louisville, and the Knights fell to Navy the next week. But Mikey Keene helped the team rebound to go 9-4, and four, uh, and with a 29-17 to 17 win over Florida in the Gasparilla Bowl, eight and a half is the total uh, from DK for uh, UCF. We have them at eight and four, so we got them at under eight and a half. Um, Nick, the question is, you know, with Gabriel transferring to Oklahoma, Gus Malzahn, Malzahn brings in uh, John Reese Plumley and Timmy McLean today uh, to compete with Mikey Keene. Which QB gives UCF the best chance to win the AAC title again this year? I don't know if I ever actually got around to... to- Putting it quite like this, but I
1: believe Jackson Dart is that guy at Ole Miss. I believe John Rice Plumley is that guy for for UCF. I, I think that the upside of somebody who, you know, Plumley is maybe one of the fastest quarterbacks in college football. I mean, he was a thousand yard rusher uh, at Ole Miss a, a couple of years ago, running Rich Rodriguez's system there, and I mean, just top in speed. Um, not just, you know, <laughs> a, a huge number of, of attempts. So, uh, if he is able to win this job, if he's able to, you know, be comfortable enough in the offense and, and sort of earn the trust of the coaching staff, I think that UCF has a higher ceiling with Plumlee, uh, behind center and he's limited as a passer you know, we know, we know that uh Mikey Keene probably has an edge there Timmy McLean probably has an edge there uh as I mentioned earlier I've heard some good things about Castellanos the true freshman but um I believe that Plumlee is so just fast and athletic uh and we've seen him be a productive quarterback we saw it at the SEC level and and he was just torching uh I mean what do you have like Three hundred yards against LSU, or something. Uh, we've we've seen how good he can be, and I I would expect that he hasn't lost that even after you know switching positions uh, in in the last year plus. Um, so I I I think I think Plumlee is is uh, going to give UCF probably the the best shot to win the conference. Um, but you know, can't do it alone. And there are some things to like. One of the things that that Gus Malzon's done. One, he's recruited really, really well. Um, they're getting you know visits from high four-star type guys. They've they've gotten some commitments from some really, really highly rated players. Um, but they are attacking the transfer portal really, really hard as well. And that's always a little bit of a risk because, you know, you have to to deal with uh, locker room situations and, you know, what promises are, are, or for lack of a better word, were made when it comes to playing time and and things like that. How does it impact the other guys that were kind of rising up the depth chart? Um, But just from a talent accumulation standpoint, uh, UCF has done a really, really good job and in modern college football, it's something that, that every team is dealing with more and more. So, um, there's, there's really no reason to expect that it won't work out or, or work out, uh, very poorly for UCF, but you know, they're going to be looking at, at guys like Kobe Hudson at wide receiver and can gamble at tight end, probably a couple of starters on the offensive line, Ryan Swoba and Taylor Grable, um, could be the answer to the departures on the left side of the line for UCF. The right side's back intact, but um, you know, last year the defensive line had a lot of transfers, and and you know they only brought in Lee Hunter this year, but um, the rest of that group should be in in pretty good hands with uh, Joshua Selesker and, and Ricky Barber, who's a former transfer, uh, Keenan Hester, all returning starters. Jamon Morse Brash was actually. Uh, the most productive of that group, even though he wasn't, you know, quote unquote, a a starter. Anthony uh, Montalvo uh, has played a lot, you know, started actually more games than anybody else I mentioned on the defensive line. So that should be a unit of strength. Jeremiah John-Baptiste, and Quadri Mosier returned at linebacker, but Katie McDaniel, Brendan Jennings, Terrence Lewis coming in. That unit is more talented, is deeper, even though they lost, um, you know, a really, really productive player in Bryson Armstrong out of eligibility and, and transfer uh, Tatum Bethune who ended up at Florida state. So uh, the, the secondary is in good shape. Devon Wilson, all another former transfer, all uh, conference performer, and then you know Ryan O'Keefe on the offensive side of the ball was really really dynamic in an offense that didn't throw the ball very much and actually only ranked 98th in offensive passing team performance uh, had a huge year. Isaiah Bowser at running back is one of my personal favorites. I mean he he went healthy and and that's been unfortunately a bit of an issue. Um, is just a I mean just somebody you can you can pound a defense with Um, Johnny Richardson played really, really well splitting time with him, taking over uh, at times when Bowser wasn't available. Mark Anthony Richards, they brought in DeMarcus Bowman, who's a former five-star trillion. Coles has played some, you know, UCF has just built a lot of depth um, with a lot of talented transfers and some pretty good, you know, high school recruits as well they are the more talented team on the field more often than not, even though the the talent edge number actually has fallen a little bit this year compared to years past. We only have them favored in seven in the talent edge, but uh, part of that is the the adjustment we made for home field advantage um, because they are basically toss-ups against East Carolina, Tulane, USF, SMU, um, Louisville even. I mean, you know, this UCF team stacks up against its opponents. Uh, they are not going to be outclassed in terms of talent by anyone. Um, and then the stats model actually really kind of likes them. Uh, favored in 11 games. The only one that they're not is Cincinnati, um, you know, playoff team last year. So there's a, a kind of a wide range of outcomes, I think, for UCF. And part of that is which quarterback do they go with? I think the ceiling is high with Plumley. not saying it's a guarantee one way or the other, even if he gets the job there, there certainly are some ways that things go wrong there. Um, so this could be a team that somewhat similar to last year, at least in spurts uh, underachieved its talent profile. You know, first half of the year was a struggle, especially when uh, Gabriel went down, but the high end, you know, the high end for UCF is basically everything I said, for houston you know 12 and 0 is not uh a huge stretch every game on the schedule is winnable um i don't necessarily expect that they'll get there obviously you mentioned we're under the eight and a half just because there are a lot of you know toss-ups a lot of 50 50 or 60 40 type games in our projected uh point spreads but this is another one of those teams that you know, if if they get a couple of the bounces, um, not only could they be conference champs, but they could be looking at a, a special year. Uh double digit wins, maybe even
0: an undefeated run is is not impossible. Uh what do you think, Zabir? Are you uh are you that high on UCF this year? Do you think they can make another push for it?
2: I'm not sold. I'm not 100% sold on what Gus Malzahn has down there. Now, I'm intrigued by how many transfers he brought in to see if they hit the ground running. Uh, He brought in a lot of guys from the P5 level uh, that didn't have necessarily the greatest of times, but were extremely talented. Uh, DeMarcus Bowman obviously comes to mind at Florida. uh, Javon Baker at Alabama. uh, Both guys that you felt, especially DeMarcus Bowman, you felt were going to be immediate uh, impact guys. Um, I love uh, Kamor Gamble. Uh, coming from Florida as well. He's somebody that Florida fans wanted to be, you know, I'm not going to say the next Kyle Pitts, but there were a lot of people who expected him to kind of be, uh, you know, a guy to take the reins from the tight end position um, and then, uh, this year or, you know, in the near future. Uh, Lee Hunter, another one uh, from Auburn. Kobe Hudson was a guy I loved coming out of high school. Uh, I thought he was going to be a monster at Auburn, obviously coming out of Georgia, we'll going to True County didn't exactly hit the highs that we all thought he would. Uh, but in this offense, you never really know. Uh, you never really know. And obviously bringing in a guy that he liked in Joey Gatewood. But I, once again, though these transfers have to hit the ground running uh, for me to see UCF making that next step. They didn't get a, a terribly easy non-conference schedule. I'm excited to see what they can do against Louisville. You guys know how much I love my barometer games, and that's really mine for them. Um, if they figure if they are able to beat Louisville, obviously then, you know, The sky's the limit for this roster. Um, If if they don't, but they compete, then I'll I'll definitely be keeping my eyes on them more as the year continues. Uh, The other piece about their schedule that I love is that they get, in my opinion, all of their biggest games outside of uh, Memphis at home, outside of the Memphis game at home. They get SMU at home. They get Cincinnati at home as well. That's going to be hugely important for them. Uh, I don't know if they did this on purpose, but they got Cincinnati as their uh, homecoming game. That's going to add fuel to that fire. Um, And then they play Memphis on the road. So Memphis is the only real – Tough road game I have on their schedule. I mean, yeah, you could say Florida Atlantic, but we talked about it in a couple of podcasts ago. Will Florida Atlantic actually live up to the talent that they have on their roster? That is yet to be seen. Uh, so I, I really like their schedule going forward. I, I think this is a team that, you know, if they can, you know, manage the, seat, the, the year correctly, they're not going to have any drop off games. And that's my biggest worry with them is if they, you know, they lose at Memphis. And, and, and two Cincinnati and back-to-back games as it compiled and they end up losing that game to Tulane, who we talked about in a couple episodes ago. Tulane's a team that definitely is going to look better. And Tulane probably feels like they should have beat him last year with them only losing 14 to 10. you know, And that was on the road. Tulane lost that game. So I think that this is a year, you know, they'll probably finish with a similar record. I really like, uh, like I said, I love the transfers that they brought in. I'm not sold on them to win the AAC just yet. Like I said, I think that's Houston's to lose. But, you know, them going and winning nine games is more than plausible. Uh, So I'm going to go over. Yeah, I'm going to go over. I think this is a team that should win nine games, uh, should possibly even win 10 games that they're able to beat Louisville early in the year. Uh, but I think they're going to drop a couple in AAC play. Um, and I, I really don't see them winning the American this year. Uh, maybe next season um, after Houston, uh, after maybe Clayton tune does decide to declare for the draft uh, and, and at their quarterback position, I will be honest though. John Rice Plumlee playing quarterback again is so exciting for me. I, I think this kid is extremely talented I think, like I said, I feel like he was a bridge quarterback at Ole Miss before uh, as Matt Corral kind of took the reins there later on. But what he was able to do, I mean, you know, his biggest highlight that year, if, if anybody remembers, was that game against LSU. Obviously, LSU goes on to win the national championship. But I think he accounted for six touchdowns, if I'm not mistaken, and three of them were rushing. He I, he account, he was amazing in that game. Uh, he's just an extremely good athlete. Obviously we've been able to see what he was able to do as a receiver, but to have him back at quarterback and to have that kind of talent and that kind of athleticism, is just going to make the offense that much more deadly. Um, and it's going to make them a little, uh, you know, a little bit harder to, you know, to, to scheme for on a, on a game to game basis, especially if they're able to get Isaiah Bowser going, uh, If they're able to get that run game going that this offense is going to be extremely scary. Uh, but that is something that, you know, Gus Malzahn was able to do. Thank you. Uh, yeah. Nick, put, put the numbers up here. I'm just going to read them out. Uh, yeah, he had 212 rushing yards, uh, four touchdowns in that game against, you know, LSU who had, uh, you know, eventually won the national championship game. So I think that kid's extremely talented. And, you know, him playing quarterback, again, is just going to be fun to watch. Uh, you know, if they can get Isaiah Bowser over 1,000 yards this year, a guy who, you know, I think towards the back half of last year, began to found his, find his footing. Obviously, you know, in the Gasparilla Bowl running for a buck 55. if you're able to get him to get to 1,000 yards, this offense is going to be really scary now, the defense, not 100% sold on them. Need them to step up on a consistent basis next year uh, for them to, you know, for them to compete at the top of the AAC in the game that they did lose uh, to better uh, AAC competition last year. It felt like a very shootout, you know, mentality, 42 to 35, obviously to Louisville, 56 points given up to Cincinnati, 55 points given up to SMU. The defense can't do that this year if they're going to be a team that they feel they can compete with um, at the top of the AAC. I'm going to go over. I still think that they that there's going to be a game on their schedule that they give away that they're just not supposed to. Uh, last year it was Navy. Uh, for them this year, like I said, I think it's going to be at Memphis, um, who I think will, that they will be unranked by that point, but I think it's going to be at Memphis that they give away after probably losing maybe a heartbreaker against Cincinnati at home. Uh, maybe it is that at Tulane game. I just know that they're going to give one away. And it's unfortunate reality of their situation, but they just seemingly do so, uh, or they have done so. And Gus Malzahn was definitely a guy who did that at Auburn. Um, You know, so over, but just barely.
0: All right, we go over to uh, team number 27 here, Mississippi State. Mississippi State had big wins against uh, at Texas A&M and Auburn and some tough losses, a controversial loss to Memphis, the Alabama blowout, three-point losses to LSU and Arkansas uh, and the Egg Bowl and Liberty Bowl uh, made made them finish seven and six last season. Six and a half is the DK win total. We have them at six and six. So another team that we're under on with a tough SEC schedule. And Mississippi State this season, Nick has a brutal schedule. Uh, but the Bulldogs are likely good enough to compete on a weekly basis. Call your shot. Which opponent's uh, season will Mississippi State ruin this year with big upset wins? I I do think they're going to ruin. Somebody's
1: season. Um, the you know we do have Mississippi State favored at home against Arkansas. Arkansas is is kind of a little bit of a buzzy team. Uh, we have Mississippi State as uh, just just slightly less than a one point underdog at home against Texas A and M. Uh, so you know a team that a lot of people's top ten and and uh, expect might be the top challenger to Alabama in the West. Uh, that would certainly be, you know, a, a uh, bit of a killer. Um, maybe Mississippi state who's favored against Auburn at home after a bye week. Maybe they, you know, don't just ruin Auburn season. Maybe it's already ruined by then, and they actually uh, get uh, Brian Harson fired. Who knows? I mean, there, there are a lot of, a lot of games on here. Anytime Ole Miss, you know that game's in Oxford, but Mississippi State, if they were to win that game, would would ruin uh, their season. At Kentucky is kind of an interesting one. We're pretty high on Kentucky. You know, not as high on them as, as whoever it was on the SEC Network who picked them to go 11 and one. But uh, you know, we have Kentucky is right around a field goal favorite at home. Um, so there there are a lot of toss ups, a lot of close, you know, closely projected. Point spreads for Mississippi State. You mentioned that we are on the under at six and a half, and a team that, you know, uh in our most up-to-date uh rank. Right- oh, actually, same. Yeah, they're they're 27th. They're they're a fringe top 25 team. Uh, they are a top 25 roster across the board, 25th in offensive roster strength, 21st in defensive roster strength. Um, they gotta get better at well. Maybe not. I mean, I was going to say they have to get better at running the football. They were 116th in uh, rushing team performance last year, but, you know, that's not really their style either. So um, maybe they don't. Uh, The defense has been solid. Last year wasn't spectacular, was a top 50 unit, pretty good against the run. Um, But there's some room for improvement there. But this is an absolutely brutal schedule, and there are a lot of opportunities uh you know, for upsets, a lot of opportunities, as you mentioned, to to ruin somebody's season. uh Hey, maybe it's Georgia. Maybe that's maybe maybe I take that as my call your shot. They do get Georgia at home November 12th. And, you know, they're almost a, a double digit underdog in that game, but oh, come uh, on, tough place to play. Hey, you know, maybe maybe that's it. Maybe Maybe if we're, we're talking about uh, keeping a team out of a playoff spot, uh, that might be the one, because I'm not sure they're going to go on the road and beat Alabama. Uh, so maybe that's their best shot. I don't know. But um, we're on the under, but it's by percentage points. I mean, we have 6.47 projected wins. Um, a lot of games could go either way. Um you know, we know what the offense is. We know Will Rogers is going to throw it a ton. Jaden Wally's back. Austin Williams is back. There's a lot of, you know, camp buzz around Caleb Ducking, uh, Jameer Calvin, LaDedrick Griffin, Ra-Ra Thomas, Christian Ford. I mean, they've got so many receivers. Um, There's even some freshmen making some buzz. Uh, You know, Savion Thomas is somebody I've heard some good things about. They've got a couple of you know, high three-star, low four-star type guys that they've brought in over the last couple of years. A couple of transfers as well, one from Georgia, Justin Robinson, and Jordan Mosley from uh, Northwestern is one of the higher-rated players uh, on the roster, uh, certainly in that unit. So um, offensive line, lost a first-round pick, but should be a pretty solid unit in the way they do things. Um, Don't give up a whole lot of sacks anyway, and Will Rogers is going to get, Get the ball, get rid of it quickly. Uh, both running backs, you know, top two running backs, Jaquavius Marks, Dylan Johnson are uh, guys who can contribute as, as receivers as well. Uh, you know the defense; they they did lose some transfers. Aaron Brule going to uh, Michigan State is is a loss. Um, they also uh, had Martin Emerson Jr. starting corner, who was drafted top seventy pick. Um, but that's a unit that you know ranks top 15 nationally in defensive returning production. They also rank in the top 20 on offense, so they rank ninth overall in returning production. So this is an experienced team. Uh, they you know have had the same play callers for all three years of uh, Mike Leach's tenure there. You never really know what's going to happen with him you know, things can, can uh, there's, there's always the potential that something blows up. Um, But, you know, that's a level of consistency that, that the players uh, know what they are asked to do and, and, you know, do it pretty well on both sides of the ball, whether it's that pretty, you know, (laughs) original air raid um, or that three, three five on defense that they've been running there for a while. So, an experienced team, talented team, and, you know, some interesting matchups, it might be just a six and six season. It certainly could be, you know, seven, eight wins, um, could, could be worse if, if something goes wrong. But I do think that Mississippi state, we're going to look back and, and think like, man, they had that, that one win, whether it was, uh, keeping Kentucky from 10 wins, whether it was knocking Georgia out of the playoff, uh, whether it was, something completely unexpected like beating Alabama at home. Um, you know, I, I think there's going to be something that, that Mississippi state really, really shock somebody one week. And then they're going to be a really, really tough team to beat uh, the, you know, the other 11 weeks of the season.
0: Xavier, what are your thoughts on Ole Miss? Do you think uh, this is a right? Uh, uh, Ooh, you, Ole Miss, Ole Miss, did you just say Ole Miss? We're talking about Mississippi. <laughs> I did. They all miss. I did. Uh, That, but that's because we just did talk about Ole Miss. I'm sorry. Fair enough. Uh, My my apologies, Bulldogs fans. Even though I do not like Mike Leach, I like you guys. So, uh, (laughs) look, um, uh, Mississippi State. Excuse me. Do do we think this is another Mike Leach, you know, start hot spotter out type of a team, or do you think they can uh, go in here and wreck some seasons, or is this going to be down year for them? They're kind of all. I don't
2: even know if they start not. <laughs> I'll yeah. be completely honest with you. I, I I think they should be Mississippi. They should be Memphis first game of the year. They absolutely should. Will they? That's yet to be seen. Um I, I do have them favored in that game. I believe if I ask Nick, the numbers have them favored in that game as well. They were probably favored going into last year's game too, and they lost 31-29. So, you know, I, it's it's annoying talking about Mississippi State because Nick so brilliantly talked about all of their good parts,
0: <laughs>
2: and then Scott, all you had to say was Mike Leach, and I was like, this could all go up in flames by week four. <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like that's is just, the advantage I,
1: I have going first. My sorry about
2: that. <laughs> I mean no, but but it's, but it's the truth. You know, th- this is a team that could go four and no non or in their first four games, right? They could be Memphis at Arizona at LSU and then Bowling Green. Everybody's talking about Mississippi State, and then they lose all of their next six games and I don't think anybody will be surprised like I don't think a single soul would be surprised if they start off four and oh and then less and then lost you know all six of their next games which all feature ranked teams you know Texas A&M Arkansas at Kentucky at Alabama by week Auburn Georgia they could lose all six of those games and you know I don't think anybody would be surprised I don't think anybody would even maybe be angry at that point maybe outside of the Auburn loss because that's at home but realistically I, I just don't think Mississippi State has taken that next step to where I'm like, yeah, they'll definitely beat Auburn at home and they'll definitely beat LSU on the road. Uh, maybe that's just my SEC bias and Mississippi State has always kind of been a team in and around the basement outside of the Dak Prescott years um, in the one year for for Nick Fitzpatrick. Uh, oh, no. Was that Nick Fitzpatrick? Yes. No, no, no. The quarterback. I can't remember his name at the top of my head. The one that ended up having the all-time SEC rushing Um ended up becoming one of the all-time SEC rushing leaders, I think right behind Tebow. I cannot remember his name off the top of my head. But I digress. Mississippi State has been one of the worst, one of the more bottom-tier teams in the SEC. And for me, I just don't know if they've risen up to a middle tier to where I can go ahead and say that they're going to surpass an LSU, even though LSU is supposedly supposed to have a down year, even with Auburn in their quarterback room, not being the greatest at the moment, Um, and the turnover that they've even had over the last couple of seasons on the defensive side of the football, losing some, some draftable talent as well. So with all that being said, I'm going to just have to go under six and a half wins does not seem like a ton. Doesn't seem like a ton. But for me, I don't think that this is a team that has a non-conference schedule that lends itself to just them walking in and walking away with W's. Um, like I said, Memphis is going to be a tough game, regardless if it's in Starkville or not. Uh, Memphis tends to play up against Mississippi teams, whether it's Ole Miss or Mississippi State. I think they've beaten both of them in the last three years, if I'm not mistaken. Um We've talked about Arizona being better. That doesn't necessarily mean they're going to beat Mississippi State, but Arizona ha- is moving in the right direction. Um, and, and I don't like the fact that they have so many ranked teams in a row. Like, how? Who built their schedule? I know the SEC West is tough, but to get A and M, Arkansas, and then the two teams you pull from the East be Kentucky and Georgia. Yeah, I just that's hellacious. That's awful. That that's probably the worst you could ask for if you're a team like Mississippi State in a year where, on paper, you have a pretty good team. I love Will. I think this, is, even though he throws the ball almost fifty times a game, you know, and is asked to essentially carry the offense. I think he does so pretty successfully, game in and game out. Um, even though you know, heck, on a fourth and one, they might even throw throw a pass. Um, so you know, I, I but I just don't think that their schedule lends itself to them performing at that level. It really feels like a couple years ago where Texas A and M had Kellen Mond, had everything kind of going for themselves, but they had to play Clemson, Alabama, and Georgia within the same year. You were just like, okay, well, cool a is probably going go to go 7-5 just because their schedule is just so difficult. Um, so with Mississippi State, I'm going to go with under. They still might make a bowl game this year. Um, and, Nick, I don't know. you got to give me a team that you genuinely believe. I know you said Georgia, that you genuinely believe that they mess up their season. Uh, I, I, I'm not going to say Georgia because I just don't think Georgia falls asleep at the wheel in that week. Um, let me look at their schedule really quickly just to see if there's a game after that that they might be looking ahead towards. They do have to go play at Kentucky the very next week, so maybe – It could be. I might
1: might stick with that.
2: I mean, I. Maybe that is a trap game in that week. That's that's fair. You know, um, this is giving Georgia some trouble at times. And the last time Georgia played in Starkville, who knows off the top of my head? It's been been a long time. I know that for a fact. Um, So, yeah, but I'm going to go six wins for them. I'm not certain that they'll have a game where they beat somebody that they're not supposed to. Heck, that might even be Auburn that they beat that they're not supposed to at that point in the season. Who knows what their records look like, um, you know, what, which each team record looks like at that point. Um, and Auburn is the only non-ranked team in that six-game window um, at that point. So six wins for Mississippi State is what I'm comfortable with. I'm not comfortable saying that they're going to go seven or eight wins, even though they. I think they have a pretty good team. I'm not ready to go on that limb and say, you know, Mississippi State's going to be a team that competes in the middle tier of the SEC just yet. Sorry, Bulldog fans, even though I love the nickname Stark Vegas.
0: Uh, let's go to the last team up here. Uh, the Pitt Panthers coming in at number 26. And uh, last year, Kenny Pickett emerged as a Heisman candidate, led Pitt to 11 wins in the AAC championship. If not for close losses to Western Michigan and Miami, the Panthers would have been in playoff in that playoff conversation. Uh, DK's got their win total this season at eight and a half. We have them at eight and four. So once again, under eight and a half. Uh, Pickett was a first-round pick. Bletnikoff award winner Jordan Addison is off to USC. But the Panthers Knicks still do have a top 25 roster, top 10 on defense. Can Pitt successfully defend its conference crown this year, do you think?
1: I I think there's a shot. Um, uh, you know, we, when, when we first did the, uh, you know, first published our... FBS team profiles, I was a little surprised at how high we had pinned. I think at that point they were right around, you know, top 20, 22, 23, something like that. Um, they've, they've come back just a little bit since then. Um, but, you know, I, I, I think that currently our projections, you know, which were, pretty high on pit, I think, compared to most, if I remember correctly, we were on the high side, so we didn't expect, you know, conference champs and, and 11 wins, uh, but we were, you know, I felt pretty good about our, our pit projection. Where we had pit coming in, you know, in the early stages of the offseason, and even now, isn't that far uh, removed from where they were in 2021, uh, you know, at this time in the calendar. So, a lot of that, admittedly, um, is relying on a pretty high, probably higher than most would think is is uh, worthy of, of a rating for Keaton Slovis, who right now isn't actually the uh, official starter. We do have him listed as the starter, uh, but he's a guy who, you know, remember early in his career at, at USC uh, was really impressive. And unfortunately he's kind of um, taking a little bit of a step back in each of the last two years. Uh, but a guy who's experienced started 26 games, um, you know, has performed well at times. Uh, he won't have Jordan Addison who, you know, went the other way in, in that trade uh, Pitt and USC. Um, so that's a big, big loss. But if you don't know the name, Kanata uh, Mumfield, if you can't pronounce it like me, my apologies, um, but a transfer from Akron, who was really impressive as a true freshman last season. Um, Jared Wayne, one of the top returners you know, from last year's team. They also brought in another transfer, Bob Means, who started his career at Tennessee, then went to Louisiana Tech, um, and one of the better tight ends in the ACC, Gavin Bartholomew, who wasn't even, he was a starter, but wasn't, you know, the full-time number one tight end last year uh, because Lucas Kroll is still uh, in the mix. But, you know, Bartholomew, that should be his role. And, and really, you know, he should be um, in line for, for a big season. So uh, the, the the passing attack, I think, could be, you know, it won't be as good as it was last year. Was top 10 in, in team performance last year. But it still could be a strength, of this team if they choose to go that route. Mark Whipple is no longer the offensive coordinator at uh, Pitt. He's moved on to Nebraska. And so, you know, the uh, head coach there, Pat Narduzzi, is always, you know, he's a defensive guy. Um, He probably wasn't too sad to see Whipple go, uh, who likes to, you know, throw, throw, throw. Um, And some of the comments that he's made, which Pat Narduzzi is not, uh, you know, not scared to make any comments uh, a lot of the time about, especially former uh, coaches of his on, on his staff. But um, seems like, you know, perhaps he's, he's a little happy to move uh, more toward a run first offense. And if that's the case, you know, Israel Avikanda, uh is somebody who's got a really, really high ceiling. Vincent Davis has been a starter off and on the last few years, uh, has had big moments in the past. Rodney Hammond looked really good in in his opportunities as a true freshman last year, played in every game, you know, Daniel Carter, they brought in Sibo Flemister from uh, Notre Dame. So, you know, there, there are plenty of offensive playmaker, you know, options Four starters are back on the offensive line, a top 35 unit, including an all conference left tackle and Carter Warren. So I, I think Pitt offensively, assuming, you know, Slovis is decent uh, assuming he wins the job first of all, and and then assuming he's, he's decent Um, they brought in kind of an intriguing uh, second transfer as well. And Derek Kyler uh, who was a 30 game starter at Dartmouth at the FCS level in the Ivy league. So, you know, maybe Kyler gets in the mix. Nick Patty uh, played um, a bit has made two starts in his career, you know, so, so, it's not a foregone conclusion that it's Slovis and it's not a foregone conclusion that if it's not, uh, that they're going to, you know, not get good quarterback play. It it certainly could work out. But the thing I know, or at least I think I know is that Pitt's going to be pretty good defensively. And they were top 15 in team performance last year. Uh, Only one uh, starter was drafted. Only three uh, starters left, you know, out of eligibility. Um, full-time starters, at least, uh, they do have to replace you. Know, we already mentioned Cam Bright, who's a starter, ended up at Washington. But this is a you know fairly experienced unit, top 35 in defensive returning production. There are all-conference caliber players at every level, including multiple defensive linemen: Kalijah Kansi, uh, Habukuk Baldonado. Both of those guys had. Incredible years last year. Deslin Alexander, Tyler Bentley, all four returning starters are back. Plus, they rotate quite a bit. There are, if I count correctly here, seven guys who played 250 or more snaps on the defensive line last year. Uh, Servasié Dennis, highly productive linebacker, uh, is back. All conference performer. Um, Brandon Hill, all conference starting safety, and and you know. Uh, both starting safeties are back as well as, uh, Marquise Williams at corner. AJ Woods also at corner, um, play 400 snaps. MJ Devonshire played 400 snaps. So experience wise, you know, they're, they're in a pretty good spot. And, uh, Narduzzi, you know, knows defense has, has a, uh, strong track record. He and Randy Bates, the defensive coordinator that, you know, Pitt was, like I said, 15th in defensive team performance last year. They were 21st in 2020, 13th in 2019. And I'm not saying this is the best unit. I'm not gonna, you know, go out on that limb, but I don't think we're gonna see a major drop-off. And, and there is a chance that, you know, maybe this unit performs even just a little bit better, especially if the offense isn't as pass heavy. So isn't uh, you know, going three and out if, if things go wrong. Um, with no clock, you know, no time running off the clock or, uh, isn't just scoring real quickly. Like, like Pitt was able to do last year with, uh, Pickett and and Addison and company. So I'm, I'm not a hundred percent sure how I feel about Pitt itself. I'm a broken record as I often am thinking like, yeah, the, the, the ceiling is high. I've said that a lot today. Um, but the most likely outcome, you know, might be as our projection uh, lands at, at that eight and four level. And, you know, that is giving Pitt sort of its, its maximum uh, quarterback potential with the potentially overrated Keaton Slovis in as, as uh, the only starter. So if he doesn't win the job, our projection will go down. There's a good chance it might end up with a seven and five, you know, projected final record and, and they lose, uh, several percentage points per game. Um, they might end up, you know, not being favored in the game that, that they're currently favored in, but there's also the, you know, chance, uh, that Slovis kind of recaptures some magic, you know, if he's, um, able to get back closer to the full strength, fully healthy that he was as a true freshman, um, maybe a change of scenery after a couple of disappointing years. Um, you know, there's there's reasons, I think, to be optimistic and, and think that this could work out. Uh, but also it's it's probably, you know, the more realistic uh, take to think that last year was a pretty special year at Pitt and things really lined up. Kenny Pickett took a huge step forward as a six year senior and Jordan Addison was the best receiver in college football. Um, the chances of those two things happening again are slim to none for this team. So it's, it's likely that they're going to take a step back in one way or the other, the non-conference schedule, even though they get them at home, you know, West Virginia and Tennessee back to back is tough. And then Western Michigan beat them last year and they have to go to Kalamazoo. So, uh, you know, three and O is not super likely two and one is, is a little closer to our projection. 0 oh, and three is possible. Uh, you know, probably won't happen, but it could. Uh, so, you know, this this pit team uh, is another one of those. Uh, you know, that in this part of the rankings is is kind of par for the course. Um, wide range of potential outcomes everywhere, from scratching and clawing to get the ball eligible to yeah, maybe you know, uh, finding a way to to stay in that ACC title hunt especially without Clemson on the schedule Um, without NC state on the schedule, you know, that's, that's a a pretty nice setup. So um, I think eight and four seems safe. I think going under the eight and a half is, is, you know, I probably feel uh, more comfortable on the under than I am on, on the over. Um, But another really interesting team with a lot of moving parts that could, you know, a lot of wide range of, of outcomes. So uh, there's, there's, going to be a lot of drama, I think in this uh, section of teams um, because so many of them and and Pitt definitely uh, maybe even at the forefront of that group um, could, could be just, you know, inches away from uh, six and six to, to 10 and two, you know, it, it really could
0: go either way. Xavier, your thoughts on the Pitt Panthers here. Do you think that, uh, you know, Pickett and Addison losing those guys is just going to be way too much to overcome. Or do you think that uh, you can squint and see uh, potentially another chance at a, a, a ACC title here?
2: No, no. <laughs> there's not there's not enough Jameis Winston squinting in the world for me to see another ACC title. If you understand that joke, you watch a ton of college football. Uh, but no, I, I I think that this is a team that ha- Nick hit around right on the head. They've got to win their non conference. If they somehow end up one in winning- two in their first three or zero in three, as Nick said, man, this could get rough because the ACC, in my opinion, is really just who wants it more in some respects. I think Clemson's a better team this year. I think even though uh, they lost Sam Hartman, I think Wake Forest is a better ball club. I think NC State's got to be my second favorite and, or excuse me, is a better team. I think Miami's an extremely better team this year. Um, so I, I, I think that we have clear, um, yeah, we have clear tiers in the ACC this year, but they could definitely find themselves in that middle tier uh, to bottom tier if they lose their non-conference games. Uh, because when it comes to to their schedule, it's very manageable. Heck, they only play one ranked team all year, um, possibly two if Louisville is you know has started off the season on fire. Uh, but other than that, you know they only get Miami at the end of the season, which I think is their biggest test outside of Tennessee. But you know, if they lose to West Virginia, first and foremost, all bets are off for them to possibly lose at North Carolina, possibly lose uh, at Virginia, and obviously possibly lose at uh, against uh, at Louisville. So, you know, I, I just think that they have to set a precedent very early on. Keaton Slovis has to check, has to take care of the football. That has got to be his number one M.O. Uh, even when he was going good at, at USC, he had a tendency to kind of, you know, trust his arm a little bit too much. And he's got to find a way to, uh, to to take care of the football. And that is going to be hugely important, not only for him, but obviously for the receivers. He doesn't have just that guy he could throw to every single time. Like, that doesn't exist. Jordan Addison is gone. So he's going to have to find a way to, to, you know, create a continuity with the guys on the outside. And if he's able to do that, then cool, Keen Slovis can return to the form that he was at USC. But you got to remember the the talent he had at USC when he was throwing those kind of passes, right? He had the Drake London on the field, you know. He had those kind of guys who he could really just throw the football up to, say, go get it, and you know, have fun with it. I think he also he had Tyler Vaughn at the time, if I'm not mistaken. So you know, he had some talent on the outside that he felt he could absolutely just kind of throw the football around the yard and, and tell his athletic guys to go get it and go do their job. If he gets that kind of rapport with the guys on the outside of pit. Then all bets are off as far as that, how good this offense can be. Pat Narduzzi just puts out good defenses. That's what he does. Um, he just does it. it. Doesn't matter who it is. It could be a team full of three stars. He finds a way to put together a good defense. Um, you know, heck, we, we all know the story of Aaron Donald. Obviously, you know he, he's uh, he hasn't had a guy of that ilk necessarily since, but he's consistently still had good to great defenses down the line. It's going to be based off of whether or not their offense and Keaton Slovis hits the ground running. Like Kenny Pickett did last year, if they can compete at the a- for the ACC. I'm not 100% sure that Kings can do so. And I'll be honest with you, Nick, you kind of took it, the words right out of my mouth. I might put some money down on them going to Kalamazoo. That's not a foregone conclusion. Um, you know, especially if they lose, you know, I, and I want to get it in early because if they lose to West, uh, West Virginia or they lose to Tennessee, then there's going to be a ton of money on Western Michigan to win that game. You got to get that bet in early. Um, it's not easy to go up there uh, and, and win a ball game. As they find out last year, they came to their house, even with their you know ACC championship winning team, and lost that game. Um, and if Keen Solvis hasn't found his footing, that's going to be a one heck of a trap game for them. Um, but with all that being said, I think Pitt is a team that goes right under their eight-and-a-half win total. Um, I think they win eight games. I think they lose to Miami. I think they lose to Louisville. Um, I think they lose to one of Tennessee. I think they lose to Tennessee. Uh, and I think they just trip up somewhere else. And, and it pains me to say it, but I think they fall, whether that's at Western Michigan like I was just talking about, whether they lose to North Carolina, uh, you know, or, or whether they drop their first two games to West Virginia and Tennessee. This is a team that I think finds its way to, to four losses, which isn't terrible when you think about all the talent that they've lost. Uh, you know, But I think it comes down to whether or not Keaton Slovis can be just consistent. I don't need him to be the, the, the second coming of, you know, saying Dan Marino. I just need him to be consistent. And if you can find his consistency again, there'll be a pretty good ball club and a tough team to stop. Uh, But I don't see him being, you know, that consistent and that great in the big games uh, next year. And And I think you see the clear gap in some of those matchups.
0: All right. That is going to wrap it up for us today on the team previews going through teams 35 to 26. We'll be back in a couple days with another episode for you, uh, going from 25 to 14, so or uh, to 16, excuse me. So, uh, you know, lots and lots coming at you pretty soon. Season starts real quick, too. So uh, we will be uh, churning out these team previews uh, hopefully, before the season starts. But that will wrap it up for today. Remember, you can follow us all on Twitter at Bogman Sports for myself, at CFB Winning Edge for Nick, and at Xavier underscore Tristy, I C H E for Xavier. And we will see you guys later. Take it easy, everybody.
1: Thank you to our Patreon supporters for keeping our show ad free and for funding our wide range of college football analytics projects. Thanks also to Blake Austin for our theme music. To learn more about CFB Winning Edge, visit patreon.com slash CFB Winning Edge or follow us on Twitter at CFB Winning Edge.